Hello and welcome to Too Fast, Too Forever. There's all kinds of family. We chose this one. This is episode 114, Too Fast, Too Furious, Lap 7. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe Too. And this episode is brought to you by Garden of Life doctor-formulated brain health to sharpen your memory and focus. Clean, clinically studied, whole food ingredients to support brain health at three stages of life. Shout out Garden of Life. Dr. Formulated Brain Health. Ooh, shout out Garden of Life. Welcome back to the show. After the break, we'll be joined by Nico Vasello and Kevo Reese of Husbands Talking More or Less to talk about Too Fast, Too Furious. But first, Joe, extracurricular activities. What have you been up to since we last chatted? Hockey came back. That's what I did. That's what I'm doing. Actually, currently, mm-hmm. I have it on the background now. Penguins lost last night in their first game, but they actually looked good. I'm not sad about it. And you good. know what? It's fucking sober season. And I was drinking beers last night. I think this is my fault that they lost. Oh, wow. Okay. I know. I okay. had it. I had to calm my nerves because I, I literally was nauseous before the game last night. Like, really? <laughs> I swear to God. Like, I was so... So they're not calling this the playoffs. This, they're, what are they calling it? They're calling it some weird thing. So they expanded the playoff teams, and they're this is having... It's like a play-in round. It's a qualifier round. So these are best of five series, not best of seven teams that were ranked 5 through 12 playing each other, and usually it's just the top 8 teams make it to the playoffs. So we would have made it. We're the 5th we're the ranked team, so we would have made it normally to the playoffs. We're the first, we're the strongest team that has to compete in this. From the beginning of the season, I was saying like I like the team, I like our depth, but we were just like crushed by injuries. We lucked out so hard because of the pandemic. Like one of our best players who had like shoulder surgery in January wasn't due back until like he wasn't going to come back until May, right? They were like, maybe we'll get him back late in the playoffs. I think the team looks great. They have like more depth than they ever. It's like one of the best teams we've actually had in years, like better than the teams that we won the cup with. So that's why I'm nervous. Realistically, like this should be it. Last night, Montreal played the best game they could play against us. And it went to overtime, and they won in overtime. On a long enough timeline, like, even, like, all the analytics were, like, the Penguins had, like, 60% of the scoring chances, 60% of, pos- of possession. Well, you know they got a mandate, right? They got, they got a win or lose in four. That's the mandate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The short series kind of freaks me out, because, like, in a best of seven series, like, I always the say The better that team should win, yes. The better team's going to win right? Like on a long enough timeline, like if you play like best of seven, you're going to win. To get three, you could kind of sneak one or two. They already snuck one, yeah. They already so snuck they one. Four. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's making me anxious. But also, this is the coolest thing. Sidney Crosby, our captain, his number 87. He's number 87 because he was born on 8-7. This is the first time in his life that he will get to play hockey on his birthday. Oh, very cool. Okay, that's very cool. Them losing, if they would have won in three, he wouldn't have gotten to play on his birthday. Now there's a game sanctioned for his birthday. He's one, crazy superstitious, and two, he like always kind of plays really good like first game back after an injury he like averages four points a game you know what i mean so it's always like he like has these certain like momental games that he has they play monday night so this comes out tuesday hopefully tuesday morning i'll be more better and happier than i am today so well we record the next episode on tuesday night not wednesday night like normal so we will have an update for the next episode of course because this is what what better way to get out of date uh, you know sports information than on a podcast (laughs) Days, days later. So about Perfect. Fast and the Furious. 
Yeah. Yes, exactly. Anything else you've been up to since Wednesday? Rachel made brownies from scratch for me, so that was really nice. They turned out great. I finally, I think that this is like a brownie recipe that like I enjoy and I'm done. It was like half granulated sugar, half powdered sugar. We used yogurt in them, which I always like to do, like using yogurt instead of water or milk. They came out really good. And I'm just stoked that I get hockey back and it's on all day, every day for the next two weeks, three weeks. So Baseball is back, even though baseball is now Ugh. maybe in jeopardy. Who knows? Um, Baseball's wrecked, dude. It's not going to last. Football's going to be fucked, too. Dude, I saw a bunch of Steelers tested positive for, or like a couple of them tested positive for COVID. Well, like high-profile guys are opting out. Like CJ Mosley just opted out today or yesterday for the Jets. Um, Stafford, the Lions quarterback, got put on the COVID list, I think because his wife is pregnant. I don't think that he got tested, but I think ah. it's just because he's a high risk or whatever. So okay. if baseball does not go well, and baseball has not gone well, but nope. we'll see. Football, yeah. Football's going to be worse. So I was talking to my boss because I had a meeting with him. He like has dealt with a lot of this COVID stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of his buddies are like on the board for Connecticut to reopen, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. So I was like, okay, realistically, you think we're going to have football this year? And he was like, no. <laughs> just like, just like, just so sad. Like we we're talking about, it. I was like, did you see this thing that happened in NFL or whatever? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, do you think we're going to have football this year? He's like, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I was like, Okay. I mean, I was worried forever about baseball next year, like let alone yeah. this year. Like, I, like, like it just <laughs> there's so many things that need to go right. And uh, apparently, so the the latest from the Athletic on the Marlins, and if people are not following, like 16, I think Marlins players and staff got yes. are tested positive. At yeah. least 16, maybe 18, maybe more. Uh, it seems like they did not go out on the town. It just seems like they weren't policing themselves the right way. Like they were just hanging out without masks and like you know in bigger groups than they should have been. They think there's like a super spreader who like gave it to most of them or whatever but it Makes seems sense. like yeah. it's nothing like wildly like they're, they're not all going out partying and drinking or whatever they weren't at Magic it's City. like yeah. somebody got it from someone and then they were staying together but they were staying together in a way that like the league or the players association or whatever said don't do that so you know there's so many things to keep in mind to keep in check that it's hard to i've heard things like anonymous players saying quote unquote anonymous players saying if a team can't keep their shit together just just like just you know, have the franchise forfeit the season, right? So, like, you shouldn't punish the other 29 teams or, you know, like, the Phillies, maybe, like, there were rumors that the Phillies caught stuff from the Marlins, but it turns out that, like, their three positives, two were false positives, and one was not from the Marlins, probably. Then the Cardinals got it somehow, but the Cardinals were following every precaution, so, like... But they also were supposed to be at the casino, apparently. Did you hear that rumor? I don't really believe any of that. Like, I don't Uh, think that, like, I think if that was true, we would have heard more about it. If you have a bunch of baseball players that show up to a casino, somebody, even in masks, somebody's going to recognize them right like as this episode comes out yesterday's episode of slumber party is one that you're on which we can talk about a little bit more maybe next time that was the lifetime movie the babysitter movie i watched brian's friday movie which i was not on not involved with but his movie called society which is on amazon prime which is like this crazy creature feature kind of horror movie that mike and he had a new guest on galen they, they talked about this movie the movie's insane like i don't know how people are not talking about this movie all the time it's a very creepy you know gross out practical physical effects movie that I really loved and they all loved it on the podcast too so it was a fun conversation a fun movie to watch Um, and I will also say that I finally 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 I mean I knew I was always going to love it I just needed to get around to it I watched Middle Ditch and Schwartz and of course I loved it yeah right which of the three was your favorite the wedding or the law school or the uh, job interview do you remember which one you liked the best wedding and (laughs) 
and law school, I think were the best. And wedding might be the funniest with like short, what was his name? Like short Gary or whatever. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think I like wedding best. I watched wedding like maybe two weeks ago and then I watched the other two this weekend. I liked wedding best. I think maybe, I don't know if it was because like I didn't know, like I knew what to expect because I heard them talk about it yeah. on a few different podcasts, right? I heard Ben Schwartz on a couple, I think. Um, so I knew how they shot it and like why it was, why it's, I know inherently why it's difficult to bring to the screen and like oh, how so they hard. spent all the money doing it and like it worked well. So I knew practically how they, but I think just seeing it, I was like, oh, this is better than I thought it was going to be, even though like yes. I trust them. Same. Yeah, I mean, I love it. If you haven't seen it yet, it's three long form narrative improv stories that just the it's two of so them funny. make up everything on the spot. They're all 50 or so minute episodes. It's all on Netflix. Like the funniest thing, the consistently the, the funniest thing is always them forgetting who they are or what the characters' Name. names are or just like breaking, you know, it's just, it's wonderful. Them forgetting the names and then being like, and then one of them remembering that like they said that they were a different person before and they're like, well, who's Christy then? Yep. And he's yep. like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm the other sister. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. And then they're like, well, then they added another character. So now that there's like Christy and Tiffany or whatever. If you have not seen that yet, Joe talked about it probably like a month ago or so, like when it came out, but yeah. maybe even longer. I don't know. Time is weird. I think that's it. I've been watching basketball, watching baseball, watching that. Anything else that I've done? Oh, I started, okay. I started rewatching The Leftovers for something I will talk about down Ooh, the line. But what I do you remember when Jordan was here we talked about we watched a Looney Tunes short The Fast and the Furious like from 1949 with a Roadrunner Co- yeah, yeah, Coyote. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I did not realize that was the first installment of the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. And the reason I bring it up now is because it's on a TV in the first episode of The Leftovers. And like what? for a for a show <laughs> that basically by the time it ended, I was like, they're making this explicitly for me. Like everything that they're doing, all the music choices, all the weirdness, yeah. everything, like the narrative decisions, everything they're doing is like, hey, here's a show that is exactly made for you. For a Fast and Furious reference to be in the pilot, I was like, oh man, like, how did I not know this? But I was just blown away by I love that. I just love it. I love it. What was it? Only three or four seasons? Three? Three. It's 28 episodes. It's 10, 10, and 8. Uh, the first season was excellent. The second one, I like kind of trudged through and I stopped and you reinstated that like you gave the strong recommendation that I should get through it and go to three. And we did and we finished it. And we were like, that was an excellent show. So. Oh, well, I mean, I think two is the best. I mean, one, like one is the book. The first season is the book, not verbatim, but like basically the yeah. book. And then two and three just get real weird with it because there's only the one book and then they're like, okay, let's move the setting. It kind of feels like the wire-ish to me that like they had like season one that you're like, okay, this is what it is. And then season two, they kind of like diverge and they diverge a little too hard. And then season three kind of comes back. Mm, I don't know. I, I get what you're saying. I don't think, I don't agree. Like I, okay. I understand like it's different, but I think, I mean, it wraps it up well. If that, it you does. Know, it's, it's a well-constructed show, but it's I don't think that two doing what it did, it all works better than like the docs. Like people don't love the docs. People are like, what? True. That's fair. I was, uh, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. That was too rough of a comparison, comparison, but from what I was saying, it's just like the the divergence and then it kind of comes back to the people and stuff that you wanted to see about. But that's it. So, I mean, if you have not seen The Left, I don't know that I would recommend The Leftovers to everyone. Again, it is my favorite show of all time, but it is very fucking bleak. It is very bleak and it is really, it gets very, very funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the whole show is an existential crisis, like, breakdown. I guess maybe I just didn't see it in that weird light. Because, like, the whole premise of the fucking show is that, like, half the population dies or something, right? Like 2% disappear. 2% just, like, rapture. It's not the rapture, but they disappear, yes. Yeah. I didn't find it super bleak. I mean, like, there's people dealing with grief of, like, losing someone, but it's not... Yeah, I guess maybe Wait, you, it is. What do you consider bleak? Did Because it, it is, like, <laughs> existentially, like, everything... Like, what do we do now? That's the whole That's the whole point of the show. So what do you think is bleak? If that's not bleak, what is bleak to you? That doesn't bother me, though. That's like 
like that's not like, the, like every time I say like something or like depressing or bleak, you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. But like if you don't think this is bleak, then the other things I say are bleak are not actually no, bleak. So I'm just wondering, what do you consider bleak if the if the leftovers is not individual suffering tugs at my heartstrings. In a case where everybody is dealing with it and 2% of the population died, in watching that, I can relate to it, but it's not as, like, we're following, like, one person who's just getting shit on over and over and over. I mean, you kind of are in the show, but, like... Because it is that, because that's Nora. Like, Nora... Yes. That's, like, what you're talking about is Nora. Yes, yes. I, I just... I, it's, it's fascinating. Fascinating <laughs> to me. Yeah, man. Sorry. Yeah, that's all I've been doing, just, again, watching more things. Haven't gone anywhere, haven't seen anybody, haven't done anything, but, again... Nice. Respecting the rules of the road, staying... Inside, staying safe. Joe, we have a Patreon page in the show, too fast, too forever.com. Shout out to Cassie Wilson. I realized this yesterday. I have this memorized, but I still read it every time. Cassie Wilson, Jake Freer, Ben mm. Milliman, Nick Burris, Alex Ellen, and Justin Kleinman, Brian Rodriguez of High School Summer Party, Haley Gerbys, Wes Hampton, Christian Larson, and Jerry Robinson for supporting us at the $5 level or Thank above. You, Thank you all everyone. so, so very much. If you want to pick this lap, if you want to pick movies for the next three laps, too fast to forever.com. If you want a handwritten note and some stickers, mm-hmm. just want to say hi, just want to support the show for $1 a month, get access to the Fast and Furious Minute document and the access to the quiz, the early access to the quiz, too fast to forever.com. We also have an email address here on the show, family at cageclub.me. And Joe, we have three emails today. Okay. First up from Nick Burris, subject line this is a quote from Widows What is she wearing? A condom. LOL. Yeah, that is a good... Didn't we say, like, Michelle Rodriguez improv that, right? She did improv it, and you had the idea that she is a dressmaker, so she would know what is tacky and what is real, so... Yes. Yeah. Nick says, I wanted to mention some of my newer comedians. Chad Daniels, who I know, Cy Amundsen, who I've heard of, and Dan Cummins. Dad Chaniels. This is one that Rachel and I were, like, listening to stand-up radio in the car, and Chad Daniels... Every time, you know, because we would have like, uh, what was it, like Spotify or Pandora comedy radio on while we were driving. Anytime we would get to a Chad Daniels one, we would just be like dying. Like we'd be like laughing so hard. And to the point where we came home, we're like, we got to watch all of his stand up. So I'm with you. I like Chad Daniels a lot. I, I know him. I know. I think, I think he's been on. He's either been on podcasts that I listen to or I've seen his stand up or heard his stand up. I'm not. I don't, like, I couldn't tell you, like, anything, like, what kind of jokes or, you know, the whatever. I don't know anything about that, but I know the name for sure. It's it's all just, it's goofy stuff. It's fun. It cracks me up. He says, the getaway is pretty fun. Shaw and Hobbs and Shaw make breakfast. While Shaw, Shaw makes it, Hobbs cracks it. LOL. Mm. So he's put my PS4 in my semi mostly to get ready for Crossroads, but also catching up on other games because my home time is for family. LOL. Fair. He says he's been getting into the Resident Evil games since he loves the movies. Well, surprise, surprise. You might want to stick around for for a little bit. Since it's in the news, and I like how he says, in the news, Sean's dad could still be a dumbass and a shitbag, as we called him when I was in the army. The people (laughs) who would always be late. Plus, he was an officer, so I'd hardly ever see them. But they were in charge, so we would wait on them. But that's not all officers, he says. I can see how his dad could assume the mom, but really, the whole family has its quirks. Which yes, that's that's our most recent thing. It's just like, oh yeah, no, they're all they're all bad at the jobs, and by the jobs I mean just like living life. They could all be wrong, right? Because yeah. none of the like that's also an option is that they all suck. So yes. Yeah. He says about the deleted scenes. We're gonna talk about more deleted scenes in this one. I think I saw the shirts off scene somewhere before. I take the Vince's mom scene as an alternate, so Vince does not show up with the group and comes later, which means we wouldn't get Coyotes R Us. I think they made the right choice. I think we probably could have gotten both because i feel like we don't it would change the tone though like we said the tone is i agree with nick here like the tone is so much more somber if he's coming from his mom and like they wouldn't be making fun of him when he pulls up you know like it just it's 
disjointed. It feels weird. He says, I'm calling you out, Joe, too. You were definitely against the Infinity Tattoo. I believe that I was. But I was telling telling Rachel this story because she doesn't listen. So I was recapping after we recorded that episode. I was like, yeah, but like now if it was like the Too Fast logo, send it. I will be fine with it. I don't care. But I'm sure that at some point I was like... The infinity symbol is too much for me. I just love that everybody listens at their own speed, and so you're going to keep getting shit about this for, like, oh, the yeah. next... Like, Wells will write in at some point, maybe, you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. whenever people write in, just like, oh. We've had the conversation, but I still love that, like, oh, no, you're wrong. Like, this is one of the very, very, very few definitively, like, oh, no, you were wrong on the podcast. I believe it. Yeah. So I just love that people are like, oh, no. like, And I'll get it out. for months. Yeah, we'll keep going. <laughs> He says, Widows took me a while to get to watch, but I want to thank you for sort of making me watch it. I have seen some badass movies. Widows had a lot of little twists and good acting. Says, hopefully I get to watch Memento and Dark City soon. Catch you later, Nick. Have you never seen Memento? Hopefully you have. Like, I feel like there's a lot of movies out there that, like, you just haven't seen that maybe you need, like, a reason to see. Like, I know know that I would love, like, Lawrence of Arabia or whatever, right? But, like, I just haven't seen it. But, like, if a podcast I listened to did it, I might be like, oh, yeah, you know, now now it's time. It's also, like, I think it's your friend circle, too. Like, us in, like, Brigsby, right? Mm -hmm. Now we have, like, a huge following of people that watched it and love it. So, like, all of our friends have seen it. But that's not like everybody's seen it, right? So no. maybe it's like one that's of those why. Like things. I was trying to figure out when we were talking because like the film club pick this past week has been Midsummer, and I was talking about Midsummer. You said all your friends were hype on that, and I was like, all your like your film, your horror friends, whatever. And I was yes, like, well, yeah. what about the Lighthouse? Because to me, they're the same, like the same kind of thing. Because it's like horror director who A24. makes either The Witch or Hereditary, and then make their second movie, and like they both came out last year, and they're both like critically acclaimed and still kind of under the radar. And you said like none of your friends really cared about. Nope. Uh, Lighthouse, which None. I find surprising because it feels to me that if they love one or they're, if they're excited for one, should be excited for the other, but maybe not. Not always. Yeah, I, I don't know. Thank you for writing in. Yeah, then we you. got one, which I did not know if you knew, but we talked about offline. Ooh. New $1 patron, meet, and I'm going to change the, change the name, meet Maria too. your sister Maria. Yes. Who has said to you she will never listen to the podcast. Yes. Uh, supported us. And can, please tell the story of why, because I saw this come in, and I'm like, I messaged her. I was like, what are you, like, basically, what are you doing? Her and Rachel and I were talking. Something came up, and we brought up you because we were telling another story. She said, how is Joey and how is the podcast doing? And I was like, actually, you know, like, we get lots of emails from you guys and and I think it's doing really well. We do two a week and stuff like that. And she's like, oh, that's awesome. Like, what's the website, like the patron website for it? Because like I was explaining about Patreon and uh, Patreon and like all these things. So I sent her the link and she said, Okay, well, I'll support it, but if if I ever make an OnlyFans, you have to subscribe to it. And I was like, I don't know if I could ever. That's just such a weird. But you said you would pay her a dollar. I'll send you a dollar a month. But I can't. But not subscribe on OnlyFans. But I can't subscribe to your OnlyFans. Yeah, so she said she'll never listen, but she would just morally support us. And so she did. And I thank her for it. If she has not made an OnlyFans yet in quarantine, I don't think, I think we've, I think we've passed it. I I think think yeah. Like, if you were on the fence about that and you haven't yet, like, you're not going to. I think it was more of a joke than any... Maybe she has, like, this killer fucking OnlyFans that, like, I don't know about. So, who knows? I don't know. I, I won't find out because I'm never going to go look for it. And if there is one, I'm not going to subscribe to it. I think you would I think you would have heard about it. Like, unless she's got this entire other persona online that just you don't know about somehow. But I feel like if she had one, you would know about it. Also, she would be, like, 
fucking loaded. Maybe it's not a successful one. Who knows? I think that if she had a very a highly successful OnlyFans that she's hiding yeah. from us, I would have been getting like weird ass gifts in the mail. You know what I mean? Like, hey, I bought you a new PlayStation. You'd be like, what? What? Like, I would have like there'd be some dots there for me to connect, right? She's just hoarding it. She's, she has all the money. She's still, you know, like lo- she's living low, laying low, so nobody finds out. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Our last email from West Hampton. Subject line: Dark City. What up? fam. What up, Wes? How are you doing, bud? Dark City sounds pretty crazy and like my kind of movie. It's one of those movies that's been in our Netflix queue since way back in the day when we were still getting DVDs mailed to it, but I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Says, I wish I watched it first, but it's cool. I love going into a movie knowing nothing, so I'll avoid spoilers if possible, but spoilers also don't generally ruin movies for me, so I'm not fanatical about avoiding them. You kind of know what we talk about in the movie, and like, I guess we spoil things, but we don't really talk about the, like, the just the movie, right? So, I don't even think that we could really, like, spoil the movie like Dark City I mean, we spoil the plot, but I don't know that it spoils the watching experience. So yeah. I think it depends on what you would be upset about. Also, like, our our focuses are on, like, Fast and the Furious things, so... Again, I've said it before, I will say it again, it is not a useful breakdown of the movie no. if you're looking for an actual <laughs> breakdown of the movie. Like, aside from the actual main Fast and Furious movies, the conversations that we have are not good conversations for people like, oh, I want to hear somebody talk about Dark City. It's like, yes. oh no, this is not for me. I think we do a shitty job of breaking down the movie for somebody that cares only about that movie. He says, anyway, I just have literally a couple of things. He uses it right, because there's only two. A couple of things this time. Okay. says, you should look up Big Fat Quiz. This is what he wrote in last time about. He said, it's a British quiz show they do every year around Christmas on Channel 4, I think. Okay. Pub trivia style game show with primarily British celebs hosted by Jimmy Carr. They've also done a bunch of specials. And I think they're all available on YouTube. And we watch pretty much all of them late at night while prepping stuff for the bakery. I highly recommend any year that has Noel Fielding, Richard Iowade, or David Mitchell, especially if any of them are teammates. So okay. big fat quiz on YouTube. I'll add it to my list of game shows that we watch when we get drunk. I'm, I'm down with that. We've been watching a lot of Supermarket Sweep because they put it on oh, Netflix. It's back on Netflix, yep. Mm-hmm. I was telling Rachel that like when I was a kid, there was like certain shows that like when I would get sick from school, sick, quote unquote, or just like, you know, ditch school, I would go to my grandparents' house because like I don't know what everybody else's situation was like if you miss school. My grandparents were like older and retired. So like they had like a like a lineup of during the day of what they would watch. Right. And it would be like, you know, you would get Price is Right. And then you would get uh, Let's Make a Deal when that came back with Wayne Brady. And like Supermarket Sweep was on at like early afternoon, but it was like reruns from whatever year that they were shooting it. And I was like, Rachel, this was like my favorite game show to watch. And so we had been watching it on YouTube. And then I saw that they added it to Netflix. And I was like, this is awesome because I was hoping that they bring it back. It's not like every episode. They just did like a bunch of them, right? Like yeah. It's not a comprehensive thing, right? It's okay. highlights. It's it's ones, I think like spoilers, but like most of the ones they put on are like ones that the team wins. It wasn't a show that you like won kind of like Price is Right. Like, you didn't, like, win every final showcase every time, right? Like, right. there was times that, like, people, like, didn't fucking win. So, it was just, like, one of my favorite. It's just so wacky and, like, stupid. Do you have a tactic? Do you have a strategy? Like, have you, like, mapped out what you would do at the end there? Definitely get all the imported cheeses. You get all the meats first. What is it? The bug bombs? The bug bombs are worth a ton. Oh, but we also re- we reconvened this, and Rachel and I were talking about, like, what will you do now? And it's, like, saffron right? Like, that's crazy expensive. Mm. Like, there's, like, a lot of items like that that you would get, like, balsamic vinegar, like, imported balsamics. 
they can yep. be really expensive. So like we've even thought about it. Like what well, we cheeses for sure still today is worth a ton. Oh, uh, pistachios, right? Or a ton. Like because you want like dense. You want expensive shit that's small. They always take like hams and stuff like that. But like hams are relatively cheap. This, this is the kind of things that I think about now. And we were like, yes, this is like we go through and my gotcha. strategy then okay. and my strategy now would be a little bit different. Ultimately, that's my go to spices like a lot of this like saffron and stuff yep. is like really fucking expensive vanilla bean like i'm sure wes knows like it's like it's it's like 20 30 dollars a jar right now speaking of wes he goes on i saw a dude where's my car in theaters i hated it well that's next episode not this episode i was 15 and i wasn't really interested in it anyway but i remember my brother who was 10 wanted to see it and my mom said she'd take us to the movies but we had to see that figure going to a movie is better than not going to a movie so she dropped us off it was so dumb <laughs> talked about how I don't like to be unnecessarily critical of things or at least have something constructive to say so I don't want to just trash this movie that other people including my friends enjoyed ironically when you mentioned it I started thinking about what other movies I really didn't like and Harold and Kumar was the first one I thought of yeah so it being the same director all tracks uh, he says that he and Mrs. West tried to watch it recently and they didn't even finish it it's the only time I can think of that I started a movie and didn't finish it no regrets that's it for this week can't wait to hear Nico and Kevo back again well stay tuned same. to discuss what honestly should be the next Criterion release, Too Fast, Too Furious. Until next time, stay furious. Thanks, Wes. Thanks for writing in, bud. If you want to email in family at cageclub.me, send us a note. Just say hi. Send in your rankings. We haven't gotten rankings in a while, but I don't know if people are changing their rankings. Did you like Harold and Kumar? I don't think. I mean, I've only seen it once, and that was forever ago. I can't imagine that I would. I think I would like it more. I'm going to save my judgments for Do Where's My Car until the next episode. I didn't hate it. Do you watch any of these stoner movies? Like, the, like... Like I mean, a- I watch like the Judd Apatow movies and stuff like that. Like, I like yeah. a lot of those. This but that's is- Judd Apatow. It's like its own kind of. He's his own. Oh, by the way, side note: I am currently reading a book called Ant Kind, A N T K I N D, which is written by Charlie Kaufman, who wrote, you know, like Adaptation and Being John Malkovich, and okay, Anomalisa, and it is like a seven hundred. It's like a very, very fucking thick book, and I still don't really know what's about. It's basically about a, a character who, like, he's just like this really, really, really pretentious snob film critic who sees okay. this movie that is tw- the movie is three months long wait what the movie in the book is three months long so how do you see that it's like the, th- the three months includes like sleep breaks and food breaks and bathroom breaks and stuff like that so like, there's a lot of times but it's a three-month process to see this movie he's basically trying to remember the movie for like the next like hundreds of pages and like it's this <laughs> wild book but anyway in the book he's this got all these takes on film critics like i think the book fe- the book feels like a criticism of both media in general but also a criticism of just criticism in general he's making fun of so many things but he's also making fun of basically showing how like pompous and buffoonery like buffoonish like a film critic can be in yeah. the book he's got all these hot takes and like very like on page 12 or whatever he calls christopher nolan like the starbucks of filmmakers that like it's pretentious <laughs> and overhyped and like only stupid people like it or whatever but like judd apatow is like the dunkin donuts of filmmakers because like he's just like throughout the entire book he's like propping judd apatow up on this pedestal and just saying like he makes all like the finest comedies but like he's always getting things wrong and making up like i was a teenage stoner in the 80s like that like i love that movie like it's not like that's not a movie it's just this wild thing where like 
throughout, the funniest thing in the book, like the book is really funny because Charlie Kaufman's really funny, but there's a thing where like the guy, the film critic, who just goes by B because he wants to make sure that people don't know, like they don't, he doesn't want yeah. what his gender to influence how people oh, read his reviews. Okay. And so he goes by B. And so he's explaining to the filmmaker of the three month long movie, the seven ways in which he watches a movie. He doesn't feel like he's seen a movie until he watches it seven ways. It's like, watch it once okay. and then watch it again with this in mind, watch it again with this in mind, watch it backwards, watch it upside down, watch it this. Like He's got seven different ways and it's literally four or five pages of a single paragraph of him just saying, this is how I watch it, this is what I get out of it. And then he stops and he looks up when he finishes and the guy he's talking to is just making coffee and not even listening. And it's like, yeah, like, fuck this guy. He's just like yes. this pompous jackass. It's very funny. Like, it feels like, and my friend Bob, who's on Tub Talk, who I've talked about on here before, yeah. he's reading it alongside me because he's you know he and I are book buds basically he's like i think it, i think every opinion that the guy has in the book it's like the opposite of Charlie Kaufman's opinion because like he keeps also bring, bringing up Charlie Kaufman. He keeps like dunking on Charlie Kaufman. He was like, oh, like this pretentious Charlie Kaufman, like this film that like Synecdoche, New York, like who do you think you are? Like just like just <laughs> making fun of him like over and over and over again, just like taking him down a peg like every 30 pages. Like he just shits on himself, which is like the weirdest thing to do. <laughs> Chuck Palahniuk has brought himself up as a character in books, but like it always just feels pretentious. Like this, when the first half, I was like, oh boy, but it keeps happening. And it's very funny because it keeps happening. He keeps always <laughs> shitting on like, like he's basically his mortal enemy in this book. The film critic is Charlie Kaufman, which is a very weird thing to do, but also a very Charlie Kaufman thing to do. This is awesome. I just thought about like Judd Apatow because like he's like, there's nobody better. There's nobody <laughs> finer as a filmmaker than Judd Apatow in this guy's mind. And so he's a different, like you said, he's a different thing. That's like to this guy, he's like a wildly different thing. Like, he is just the, the mastermind of Hollywood making the only comedies. Like comedy as an art form is like overhyped, but Judd but Apatow, like, doesn't even make comedies. He just makes, like, experiences. Film. Film. <laughs> He's such a jackass. But, like, he keeps bringing up Charlie Kaufman to shit on him and Judd Apatow to, like, praise oh, him. And it's just the wildest. I still, I'm 400 pages into the book and I don't really know what it's, like, where it's going or what it's about. It's awesome. Like, I, it's crazy. But I just want you to tell me more stories about, I, like, I don't think I ever want to read the book. I just want to hear your stories of Boy, it because they're it great. Is, man, it is wild. But, yeah. Whew. Oh, that was good you gave me a good laugh there thanks i'm glad we got to that but i mean there's so many pages where i'm just like i don't like none of these words matter i'm just like <laughs> i'm reading things where he's just like he's saying things and now he's like in a point where he's getting words wrong and so like he'll type a wrong word and then he'll be like no that's not the right word he's like or is it and like he's like this whole like mental <laughs> breakdown of like was i using the right words did i even even know what it meant like does anybody know what it means it's like what is what are you doing <laughs> it's like american psycho but with uh with the... but yeah like but like a, <laughs> yes basically kind of Yes. You're watching him, like, descend into madness, like, live. And, like, we just jump years later out of nowhere. It's just, it's it's weird. Yeah. But, it's yeah. cool. It sounds kind good, if you want to read it. Anyway, family at cageclub.me if you want to email us. Joe, on the streets, any Fast and Furious news that you have seen? I have not seen any. Have you seen any since we last recorded? Jason sent us some from, like, Screen Rant and stuff like that. They were, like, you know, like, what was Dom up to and stuff oh, like that. Oh, I saw that. It's, it, it's, it, what it's, that article is, is it's Los Bondoleros. It's like, yeah. hey, there's this other thing, which it's not, it's not news. I know. They're just making a lot of Fast and Furious clickbait articles, and it's sad and annoying. I mean, it works. Me. Yeah, I guess. Anything else you've seen? Because I don't know that there has no. been because I saw that, because that was that was one where I was like, this actually could be interesting. If they were like bringing in, you know, not fanfic, but like stuff that like meta fiction or something, right? Yeah. yeah, but like no, it's just oh, Los Bondoleros fills in the gaps. Like that's the whole thing. Like there's not <laughs> more than one thing. It's just Los Bondoleros. It's like oh. 
Yeah. Anything else? Or just Screen no, Rant stuff? No, that's it. There was like another Screen Rant thing that I don't even remember the title of because I'm like, I'm not going to click on it. Like, I just don't. <laughs> like, I feel like they've become the enemy on this podcast. And like, they're, you know, they're just, I don't think they're any better or worse than like many other sites that are out there, but it's like, they just do more, I think, and we see it more. And so like, it's just more prevalent. It's a lot of content is what it is. And, and now yeah. that we like, w- we watch like one niche of it, like, I'm sure that it's like six different writers generating content and just like, we just only be, see the like, best. It might just be like an AI. Like there's like AI that like just deep fake text now. Like it could just be like some poor kid in Indonesia that is getting paid 25 cents an article to write Fast and the Furious articles for them. Just like the, the Indonesian Kate Hudson just like <laughs> right, cranking <laughs> yes. out fanfic about Twilight, but just about, uh, yeah, boy. <laughs> exactly. So the final thing to do, we are not doing an episode of Lost and we are not doing a Fast and Furious a Minute because this is in the missing pieces lap. We are yes. doing the deleted scenes from Too Fast, Too Furious. There are only six of them. We could not find more on YouTube. I feel like they're a little bit less exciting overall than Very the first so. movie. Yes. But there's a couple in here that are pretty cool, pretty good. I agree. On the DVD, or like, we'll post the link on YouTube. The link to YouTube that seems like somebody ripped it off their DVD. John Singleton sitting down with the editor. Bruce Cannon, yep. Bruce Cannon of the film. And they also kind of like, dis- like they bring up the scenes that were cut. Or what they call lifted. Lifted, that's right. Lifted is the word that they use. Mm-hmm. And kind of why. And you'll see why when we talk about them. So that's what, it was a little, it was a little lackluster in that regard. Because I was hoping for, like, the first one was like a solid six and a half minutes of just scenes. And then there was the optional director's commentary where Rob Cohen talked over it. This was six yes. minutes. But, like, it included probably, like, 90 seconds of them introing each clip. And so, like, yeah. it kind of felt like we were, like, losing a little bit of steam each time. Because we're like, okay, let's go to the tape, basically. It's just like, well, okay. So I think the presentation, of, like, that has nothing to do with the quality or the caliber of the scenes but i think that like just the way that the first one was done like and it wasn't on youtube like you couldn't see the first ones yes. like the, the director's commentary this way but like i just felt like the way like you couldn't even on this dvd break down scene by scene it was just like here's the here's the one it thing you one click clip. on yeah and that's it cool that it existed but a little bit lackluster i mean i'm guessing for more than one reason that the first movie is going to be the high watermark for this yeah same I, I the fact that they that we got all that like i, I love it so anyway First scene was one that was completely lifted from the movie. It's Brian and Tanner on the rooftop of the Customs Building. It feels like a lot of these revolve around the physical location of the Customs Building. Like, a a location that's, like, not really involved or included too much in the movie. Not at all. There's a lot here. A lot about, basically... Again, we're going to talk in the the back half of this about, like, how I want to know more about Bilkins. Like, we don't get any of that, but this is kind of, like kind of bridging Close. the gap in a way that like two the, the prelude does sort of it's after brian has been captured by customs officers and he's just talking to bilkins and he knows because there's monica fuentes at the race like he knew that she stuck brian out, she stood out yes yeah but he knows that bilkins is probably he wants him for something because they didn't arrest him they're basically That's talking says, about yeah. like why didn't you arrest me well he asked he asked brian why did you let why did you let dom go tell he me why you wouldn't you understand yeah and then that's when he says, you know, it's pretty common, a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. And then he talks about Monica Fuentes. So he kind of knows, doesn't really explain why they didn't arrest Brian. But now that they, I guess they know where Brian is, they're not arresting him now because they need him to drive, right? And so it's like a cool yeah. kind of bridging the gap. He's talking about why isn't he in handcuffs right now? Because yep. they caught him. And he's relating back. Bilkins is saying like, well, why did you let Dom go? And we that was the thing that was frustrating to me. It's like, we don't even get an answer to that. And for that reason, I'm like, okay, I'm glad the scene got cut. 
I was really hoping Brian was like, you won't understand. And then like goes into like some small monologue about it. But that's, you know, just fan service of what I want. And this is probably the longest of the scenes that are deleted. And I feel like some of it is interesting and some of it is just like, yeah, like it's it's like the way that you would have filled in the gaps anyway, right? Like even mm-hmm. taking aside like what you say that we wish that we had seen, I think what we actually see here, it's like, well, yeah, like we know that like Bilkins would have understood. Like it's just that like we don't need people to explain like why Brian let Dom go. It's like, yeah, because they, they formed a bond. Right? Like, and Brian would have like, figured out that they wanted him to drive and that's why he's not arrested when we see right. the Gallo 24, Gallo 12 conversation, right? Like they exactly. show it in the next scene. It more explicitly and directly ties Monica Fuentes with Bilkins, who like we never see the two of them together, but like we also, like we're also, we understand that as the movie goes on too. So it's kind of yeah. like, I get why this was lifted. And again, like, it's funny to me to think, like, these guys having these explanations, like, valid explanations, like, why they cut out these scenes, and then we jump a few movies later, and they're, like, 30, 35, 40 minutes longer, and it's like, well, where... What are you doing with these? You know what I mean? Like they're they're so intentionally getting it under like without credits, like under a hundred minutes or whatever, right? And then yeah. like later we're like, cool, two and a half hour movie, like sign me up. Fuck it. Anything else about this one? I mean, it ends with a cool line, I want you to drive, but like, no. does he want him to drive? I mean, kind of, but not like it's more like just get undercover. Like it's a it's a kind of a movie cliche yeah. in that way. Yeah, I agree. Anything else about the scene or no? No, other than I was wishing that he would have answered the question of why'd you let Dom go and not right. just cop outs with super vague, you wouldn't understand. Scene two is Roman's intro. They say this was cut to lose time and make Ro- uh, Roman more mysterious later. And the biggest, the craziest thing of all, if you want to watch these scenes, they're going to be on the same YouTube playlist because just, we'll just add to the same thing mm-hmm. on Too Fast, Too Forever, youtube.com slash Too Fast, Too Forever. Go check them out. They're less important, I think, to see than the first ones, but like... The craziest thing about this one is this is him in the Demolition Derby. Yes. And when I realized that this was mid-competition, I was like, holy shit. Like, it seems like this is the victory thing where he, like, kicks out and, like, he's just doing his thing. He's still one-on-one. I'm like, why are you doing this in the middle of everything? Like, that's crazy. But but it's also a very Roman thing to do. I'm glad that we got this extra scene of Roman, but it was just Roman being Roman. And I get why it was cut out, because it's much more enjoyable to see Brian and Bilkins talking about Roman and just watching him from afar than seeing him put on a performance but um it was also funny to see like how roman he was acting like this is what is this this is my house or whatever whose yeah, house so he is kicks this kicks his windshield out his windshield is shattered as he kicks the windshield out then he somersaults through where the windshield was ties like a belt or a strap or something like maybe to keep he, his hood down and then he stands on his hood and he says whose house is this what whose house and i was like Oh, it feels like a victory speech. It feels like a, I just won, this is the final guy, whatever, I'm champion here. But then, no, he gets back into his car, and then he lines up, basically, you know, the chicken game between, like, Dom and Shaw later, and he just says, last man standing, and then he flips this guy, and then he says, now what? It's my house. The one cool thing I did like about this, though, is that we see that Roman has fans, and I thought that was something we kind of miss in the movie, right? Because, like, they seem like they're responding to him and that he might have, like, a following in the Demolition Derby circuit as opposed to people just watching the whole thing explode, right? Yeah. Yeah. But other than that, yeah, I see why they cut it. This one makes sense. Yeah, there's nothing... I mean, it's cool. Like, like It's more of the characterization thing that we liked about some of the scenes from the first movie, but again, overall, just it's whatever. Then scene three is Brian and Roman arriving at the customs building, and this is introducing Markham, who is James Remar. And yes. this is when he's kind of just, like, dunking on Roman. He says, Roman Pierce, huh? Cut off sleeves, tattoos. We got all this trouble getting him a job a real man should be doing. And where's that dog collar I heard all about? Which I guess is his ankle monitor, maybe? Or is yes. he saying something else? Yeah, no, he's saying... He's saying his ankle monitor because we see Brian talk about it 
earlier, right? Like Brian and Bilkins right. see it. And then what I liked about this was that Brian is like smiling while his friend gets ribbing from his boss, basically. And then he just says, don't smile at me, O'Connor. I was like, all right, cool. I like that. I like that part of it, but I didn't like that. How do we have Roman run his mouth to everyone else? But like and just, just eat take... shit here? Yeah, Yes. That's why I was like, it's not a very Roman. As much as I liked the standing on the car whose house is this, him coming from that and like, and he also like steals from Carter Verone and he talks shit to the cops later. It's like, why would he just sit here and just like take this one and be like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know what I mean? Like he, mm-hmm. he should have mouthed off a little bit. So I'm glad that they cut this one for that reason. It would have felt out of character to me. The next scene is the kind of the last longer scene that we have. And I think that this is interesting. Like this kind of feels like a direct precursor to the rat scene, like not yes. direct precursors in terms of where it happens in the film, but like why the guy, Detective Wentworth, gets the rat put on him at the club. Because this is a scene between Carter Verone and the rat guy. Actually, with that in mind, it feels like a lot of these, like I think that there are, maybe it's just because we know this movie less than the first one because we haven't done the minute, but I feel like I have a less of a firm grasp on where these scenes would actually be placed. That's fair. Like, I know generally, but I feel yeah. like in the first one, we're like, okay, we know explicitly like where we would cut this in. Right here, it's just like, well, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure. It could go in a lot of different places. And I think just because of how open-ended it is, it has to come. I don't think it's directly before the rat scene. I think it's some point before the rat. Like, it has to be before that, but I don't know when. So in here, this is Carter Verone, the rat guy. I called him Detective Wentworth, just talking outside. And he's basically saying the Wentworth's like, I'm out. You know, internal affairs is up my, and then he says, but instead of ass, up my butt, which, which I was weird. like, mm, I can't do it, can't do it. And then he says, then we're through. And he tells a guy escort this guy out of here so like it just feels like you failed me i'm gonna get i'm gonna replace you with somebody else right so like it just yeah. it's, it's all right but again like in the movie the rat scene kind of it's like well who is this guy what did he do you can kind of infer here yes. i mean you still don't know exactly what it's just more like oh he's doing something or he's not doing something right so it's not exactly explicit but it feels a little bit better but like kind of whatever we don't need it because he doesn't become a character later right so like you don't need to like introduce him because all we see is with the rat thing and that's good enough for me so i'm glad that this one was cut The one interesting thing about this is that we kind of get a little bit of Monica Fuente's POV, like we follow her in the house and we see from her perspective, which doesn't happen otherwise. And like, it's a weird choice, I think, but like, it's just more like she's spying on, like, she's still, this might be even like what we talk about later, this shows that she's still a cop, or maybe she's just curious, but it feels like she's still trying to like figure out what's going on. She's not like so deep undercover that she doesn't, like, she's just in with Carter. Like, she's like, yeah, I need to to know what's happening here. Oh, that's a good point. Maybe this scene removes some of the ambiguity that we see later where we don't know which side she's on. Because yeah. if she's doing her, like, cop job here, it's like, oh, well, we know she's still doing cop things, so. Because I think you could explain it away like she is just being nosy, but I feel like this is more, like, I no. think of the two, it's more cop than just nosy. Yeah, I agree. And then the next scene, again, we have Monica and Carter, and this is just a very short thing where she smokes a cigar. It's like, okay. Yeah, like, instead of him just smoking the cigar, he hands it to her, she takes a puff and goes, oh, it's pretty good, and hands it back to him. He like, says, not bad, huh? It's like, yeah, we, like, we... We assume that you're not smoking shitty cigars. Like, what are you, what are you doing? No, man? I think that was meant to establish that they're like in romantic? a relationship. Yes. Because yeah. they were sharing something that involves both of their mouths being put on it. I guess. Six feet away. Now, don't share cigars in the era of COVID. Please, no, thank you. No, definitely don't. And then the final scene, again, this is 
who gives a shit? It's Brian and Roman kicking Enrique. They're basically pulling a Hobbs and Shaw with like, we need to work together. And then one of them, I think Brian spits on him, which might even happen well, in the movie, does. but I was just like, I was just like, oh, yeah, okay. That was the one that as we were watching these, Rachel goes, yep, I know why that was cut. Just completely unnecessary. It's like an, an extra like 30 seconds of them kicking him. And you're like, yeah, at that point, like this movie just becomes like violent, right? Like it's not like you don't need a minute and a half of them kicking him on the ground. You need like two kicks and then we move on with the movie. That's not the point of it. So yeah like either infer the violence or just like hint at it but here it's just yeah like they just beat the sh- like they basically leave him in like to die like they leave him in yeah. a coma basically to die it's just like oh like I think that this it's like okay instead of just like getting revenge it's like oh no they're malicious like they're kind of bad guys here it's like well we don't we don't need that. Yeah, exactly. Overall thoughts, though. I, mean, I think there. I think we agree. Like we talked about these way less. I think there's way less to digest, and maybe just because, like we talk about in the back half of this episode, there's less plot in this movie than the first one. Like I think character development and plot wise, there's a lot more going on in the first. But like yes. overall thoughts on these six scenes. The main takeaway I have of this is because of yeah. how it's set up, and John Singleton's like kind of previewing the clips to you, right? He's introducing yep. them. The thing that really made me laugh is that he referred to all of them by their character name only did you notice that he's like I yeah and then like he's like mr pierce and like detective whatever and like bilkins like he, he's calling them all only by their character names and it's like it was such a weird thing for me to hear because like you think like as a director he'd be like yeah then paul walker did this and tyrese did right. this but he's like but no nope, roman and brian, brian. brian and roman yep mm-hmm. <laughs> and i'm just like weird that's so strange it gave me it gave me comfort in the fact that we we call them all by their character names all the time too. So I mean, I think for anybody listening to the podcast, worth seeing, go to the YouTube channel, check it out on there. Yeah. On the same playlist, the deleted scenes playlist. But like, it's quick. It's six minutes. If you only have six minutes of your time, watch the first movie, not the second movie. But like, you know, if you're listening to our nonsense four or five hours a week, like, you can watch both. Yeah, it's it's cool to see. Like they were cool to see, but this was a lot less exciting than the first ones for sure. All right, Joe, let's take a break. Let us bring in Nico and Kevo, and let's talk about Too Fast, Too Furious. episode number 114 too fast too furious this episode is brought to you by dr formulated memory and focus for adults 40 plus this formula features organic neurofactor a whole coffee fruit extract clinically shown to promote bdnf brain derived neurotropic factor production in healthy adults shout out dr formulated brain health memory and focus <laughs> Well, shout out indeed to the longest sponsor we have ever had in the history of Too Fast, Too Forever. And welcome back to Too Fast, Too Furious, Lap 7. Joining us, as always, this lap, every single main installment in this franchise, we have with us today, Nico Vasilo and Kevo Reese. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, boys. Hello. Whoa. Hello, Clarice. Oh, Carlise. I should have said hello, Cla- Carly. I can't say it. Never mind. You guys have huge fans. I mean, I know we've been saying this to you, but like that first episode, whew, we've been getting tons of feedback about People love it. People love yeah. it. People love you on these shows. For sure. It happens everywhere we go. <laughs> that's what I, I figured. I hoped as much, and I knew as much. So we are ecstatic that you have not been scared away by this movie so or by this franchise. So, I mean, we did have the 
incredible turbocharged prelude we will talk about. But first, we have a couple more either-or questions for you. We have two questions here, one about the movie, one not about the movie. Are you ready for some hard-hitting questions? Cut. What? Oh, that wasn't the question? It wasn't cut or un... Okay, sorry. (laughs) You said hard-hitting question. I was making a joke. I want to go die in a corner. Goodbye. It was a penis thing. I just... I I should have known it's always a penis thing, but I didn't... (laughs) Okay, okay, here we go. I even know the story. We're talking about cars. I even know the story. Nico has told me the story, but okay. I told you the story. Yeah. Ah. We'll, we'll start Kevo first. Kevo, are you more of a Tej or a Roman? Now that you know both Tej and Roman, not know where they grow, how they develop, but so far, through the one movie you know them, would you say you're more of a Tej or a Roman, Kevo? Like me personally or more of a fan? You personally. You personally. Who, who, who better describes, who better resembles or embodies your personality, Tej or Roman? Probably Roman, but I like Tej as an addition to this ensemble better. Okay. Good to know. We will get way deeper into that later. And I almost don't think I need to ask Nico which of these two, although maybe I do. Nico, who are you more of a Roman or a Tej? I'm more of a Tej. Really? Wow. I probably prefer Roman. Interesting. I was going to say the center of the party, the life of the party, the motor mouth, the, the everybody's favorite. Hold on. I, I want to say, because like I'm going to sit here and I'm going to imagine sitting on a bus singing Sweet Lady with my headphones on. Because, man, I love Tyrese. But he's such a dick. Like, yeah. he's just such a dick. Like, I mean, and I loved him. But he's like, he's got to be the life of the party. And if he's not, he's angry. <laughs> and I am never angry if I'm not the life of the party. And I'll tell you why. Because I've never found a party that I wasn't the life of the party. Perfect. I will say that Roman evolves in a way that I am fascinated to see you guys, whether you like it or not, because he's a very, very, like of all the characters, the characters grow, but of all the characters, he, I think, is the most different between this and our most recent installment. Like he changes dramatically and also in some ways stays exactly the same. So I'm very fascinated to hear what your take is on him as the movies go on. But now... Enough of that silly question. A much more important question. Do the both of you prefer In-N-Out or Whataburger? I have no stake in this matter. I have no... I I prefer Dorothy's Bornak. Is is that... Oh, yeah. I don't think either of us have any frame of reference for this question. Totally I've fair. never had either. Have you ever had either? And I mean, I don't really fast food either. So like... Wait, what's Dorothy's whatever you said? That's... Okay, no, that's girls. just the character from Golden Girls. That's I was, oh. Nico yeah. being Nico. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, if you're giving me a choice of things I don't, I don't know, I'm just going to say something I like instead. So... <laughs> Can I get like Chipotle? Chipotle? I prefer Chipotle. Can we Chipotle? Is that on the table? Is I that I'll write it down. I mean, I miss Chipotle so much. Like, all I want to do is like go be at a mall, and like I don't like the mall. Okay, <laughs> I was one of those people that was like, the malls are dying. Good. Isn't one of your BFFs past guests of the show your former co-host Chris Podcast? He was a mall kid, right? Were you not a mall kid with him, or no? Oh, I was. I was. I was. Okay. So why do you think he hates malls now? <laughs> Fair. Like so. Okay, and this is really important to contextualize. Growing up in like third grade, I have this really clear memory of like sitting kind of like by myself in the library reading books. There was you know the elementary school library, and the elementary school librarian came over to me and she was like, you know oh, young man, why are you by yourself? And I was like, because there's people over there. (laughs) And she was like, 
oh, do you not have friends? And I was like, no, my friends are right there. And she was like, so why are you over here? And I was like, because woman, I just need some time alone, you know? Right? (laughs) And so, like, I've always been like that. When I got to high school and teachers would give me the time of day in a social setting, I would... I was all about that shit. That was my lifeblood, right? Like adults to talk to. Even as a kid, one of the things like, I mean, to bring up Chris, one of the things I got along with the best with Chris is that he's also an ornery person hater. I wasn't a person hater. I was like a kid hater. He and I shared hating all of our peers, which is kind of why things are a little bit different now. He still hates all of our peers and I'm slightly more positive on them. (laughs) Try at least. Until they try my patience, yes. Good explanation. I like that. I also want to point out, I remember I was talking to a teacher in high school while we were like while I was walking in class like one of my teachers was nearby and like we just started chatting about something the teacher walked away or I walked away or like they got stopped by someone or whatever and like a friend came with me like why were you talking to a teacher uh, why were you talking to a teacher I was like why wouldn't I be like he, they're like they're more interesting than like you like I don't <laughs> I don't understand like the stigma anti-teacher stigma like that's the I agree like not necessarily my lifeblood but like people who understand that like teachers are far more interesting than like the dumb kids you're friends with are like that's the cool people like i want to ask you a very serious question now i'm, I'm gonna try and like put it in terms people get i'm giving you a free car i am giving you either this toy hot wheels that is all real dinged up and worth nothing or you can have a ferrari okay <laughs> high schooler brains are hot wheels <laughs> compared to a high schooler brain any fucking teacher is a Ferrari. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the day you graduate from Emanuela in space to like Brazzers. There's this like there's this leap in oh my God. the connective tissue that binds it all together. I can't believe that I'm going to tell this Brazzers story for the second time this episode. But yes! I, was driving, I was driving the other day and oh I was God, visiting yes. a friend. And I'm driving down the highway, and I see coming up on my left a car with, like, these very, like, holographic kind of lights. I see this car, and, like, and now that I'm playing the game, like, now that I'm doing the podcast, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Let me see what the car is. Like, if it's a cool car, maybe I'll describe it to Joe. And it drives by. It's a Ford GT, and I'm just like, oh, just, you know, generic muscle car or whatever. And then I look at the license plate. The license plate's like a regular New Jersey plate. The license plate holder... Like, the cheap piece of plastic around it is a Brazzers license plate. And I'm like, who the fuck <laughs> would brag about have, like being a fan? Or I guess maybe, like, Joe and I, like, the best thing we can possibly imagine is, like, you're, like, a producer or, like, a, a employee of Brazzers who, like, hey, this is the car that my porn money bought. Here's my Brazzers license plate. Yeah. Hell yeah, I love Brazzers. But, like, not even the license. Like, the license plate wasn't Brazzers. It was the cheap piece of plastic around it that said Brazzers. And I can't believe that, like, in the 113 or 14 or whatever episodes of the show, it, it just, it's it's mind-blowing to me. Like, the fact that that merchandise exists in the yes! first place and yeah! then you buy it and you know you're going to have questions and, like, not to make any general statements whatsoever but i personally as a gay man would better understand a men.com vanity plate because like in gay culture you're more likely to find a partner who is also into that culture if that's a brazzers license plate thing (laughs) it's probably a straight dude not that there isn't any queer or bi porn ever but it's probably a straight guy are are you married 
are you looking for love? Do you does your partner not know what this means? Or do they <laughs> yeah. know? If you're presumably, again, I don't want to assign too much meaning to this license plate holder, but if you're you're probably a straight guy with this, like do you think that women are going to be into the fact that I you're don't know. publicly promoting uh. brassers.com? Unless you're only explicitly looking for the women who would be into a guy who loves brassers. In which it. case, by all means, go for it. I one time Almost considered giving my money to a, we'll call it a worn pipe. I decided not to give my money to said worn pipe. One of the things was if you signed up for three months, <laughs> they would send you this towel. And uh, let's say that they expect you to use this as a rum keg. <laughs> and I said to myself, can you imagine being the guy who's like, oh, now that we've finished making brownies, do you need this rum keg? <laughs> And can you imagine the person being like, your rum keg is of a worn pipe? And I'd have to be like, I know. What does that say about you, though? Like, But again, gay culture, if somebody had a rum tag, was it? <laughs> a, a rum keg. A rum keg from a worn pipe. I would be like, this is so fucking cute. Where did you get this? Well, one time we were having a pretty fun weekend with a friend and his husband and one of them had a t-shirt of a specific worn pipe, and I had to be like, where did you get it? Did you do anything for the site? And they were like, no, but I made the t-shirt to prove a point. And I was like, that's fascinating. And then over the course of the next two or three years, I've come across a number of people with this t-shirt or a similar t-shirt. And I'm always like, where did you get your Sean Cody shirt? And they're always like, I made it. And I'm always like, the number of homosexual adult men I know that have screen printed their own fake bootleg gay porn website t-shirt <laughs> to make it seem like they jizzed a load on this one couch. But that introduces a new factor. Did this man buy the Brazzers vanity plate we or did know. he make it? That's which what, is oh. then an even extra level of dedication to having this thing know. on his car. Did he 3D print it? Is he an engineer with very little time and a CAD license? <laughs> I would, I mean, Thank you. these are all fascinating, fascinating poss possibilities that I need to find this Ford GT. So if you're out there, Mr. Ford GT, because we know you're a mister. If, if also, <laughs> if this is a woman driving this, like I have so many more other questions, questions. Or, <laughs> or, or way fewer. It's either it's one way or the other. No, 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 no. Let's, let's just say what it is. Letty, if that's you, <laughs> we just want to take you out for drinks and listen to you tell us about your favorite better times. Yeah. I also realized that I did the math wrong, and so we would have talked about Brad's two episodes ago as I opposed know. to today. But, know. you know, now we're just, you know, we're just they're stacking up the Brazzers content. Who knows? I mean, you never know. I've never paid for Brazzers. I'm familiar with their I logo. Hope they, I, I hope I they won't. send you a license plate cover. <laughs> Please. Sponsor, yes. Sponsor, That's Joe, our next a, sponsorship. Joe, next time you need a sponsor, yeah, sponsored by Brazzers.com. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be like, what? You're going to get, like, a box with just a rum cag in it. Brazzers, <laughs> Brazzers auto accessories. Man. That's the new yeah. Like a Man. steering wheel cover. It looks like two dicks. So you're <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, thank you for that. So now before we talk about Too Fast, let us first talk about the turbocharged prelude to Too Fast, Too Furious, a six-minute, mostly wordless, devoid of all things cinematic, interlude between the first and the second movie. And to your point, like last episode... 
that you guys were on, we asked, how do you think they get from California to Miami? And you said they drive there. And we see them drive. We see Brian drive from California to Miami. So congratulations on your victory. What else do you have to say about this six-minute short? What do you know of the... Like, why was this created? And then why was it withheld from the film? Wait, no. I believe, if I am not mistaken, it was created to bridge the content of the first and second film for a special edition DVD. There is then additionally a cut-down version of it at about two and a half minutes included on the second movie's initial DVD release. So, yes. So, the, the story behind this is that, like, a week or ten days before Too Fast came out in theaters, they reissued the first movie on DVD, and they added, like, a, I think probably, like, a movie ticket in there, like, to be like, hey, go see the new movie, and they put right. this on there so you could understand where, how they're getting from one to the second. They had, I think, two versions of the script for Too Fast, one with Vin Diesel, one without Vin Diesel, because they didn't know if he was going to come back or not. And they offered him, like, a fuck ton of money, and he said, no, I'm going to go make, I think, Triple X, or maybe a Pitch Black, or, like, a, a Riddick movie. One of those, he's just like, I'm going to go do this other thing. And he was basically like, I'm walking away from the franchise. So then they had to, like, figure out the other story, which is then, you know, Brian going back with his friend from childhood or whatever. So, like, I think it was less clear that this was a sequel because one of the two main stars was not in it. So they reissued the DVD, get excitement up, you know, boost DVD sales again, and also be like, hey, this guy you know from the first movie, here's where he winds up. Yeah, I guess I just didn't expect the way he got from movie one to movie two was essentially a Duke Nukem cutscene. <laughs> yeah. It did have all the finesse of a Limp Bizkit music video. Oh. Yeah. The most the most meaning uh, the most important thing I think in this in this transition video is that we have Minka Kelly from Friday Night Lights and from many other things from Derek Jeter's storied history with celebrities. Oh, great. Now I can bring up Mariah Carey. So Mariah Carey dated Derek Jeter in the late 90s. Wait, was that really Minka Kelly mm-hmm. in the little short? Yeah, that was her. She played she yes. played the iconic role of girl, as you might remember, just credited as girl. I am not at all surprised that she was simply girl. There's not a ton to talk about with this short it's just the transition i want to give you guys the complete scope the complete picture of the fast verse but is there anything else you want to talk about before we dive into too fast honestly this was one of those things where frequently when it comes to the comic universe there's a lead up to the lead up to the crossover that's really just the lead up crossover to the real crossover this happens way too frequently i wind up buying way too many miniseries and i've managed to break the cycle of pain if i'd had to separately issue my own money for this like if i'd had to be like here are my dollars i wish to see this unique film i would be pretty i would be pretty annoyed right just the prelude or the or the movie the prelude okay yeah learning yeah. that it's something that was created for fun after the fact to get people excited because so many scenes that people decide to create for these things they're like oh and it's really necessary this is not necessary but it's it's fun what i will say is that before a couple laps ago joe and i had never seen this and so we watched this and we were equally both like wait this is like when we watch on youtube it's like is this the actual audio because you're like this can't be the actual audio we thought the audio got taken down and they like put like a like a score over it 
But, but no, nope. nobody This talks. is the audio. Yeah. But I will say that, so the next episode you guys join us for, we're skipping Tokyo Drift because we're going chronologically. But before we get to Fast and Furious number four, we're going to watch Los Bondoleros, which I talked about. But like that's directed by Vin Diesel. And like I cannot express to you the leap in quality from like oh, this yeah. to that. Like that it's is genuinely it's a, real a great thing to watch. This is just like, what's even the point? My dad, in his own little way, is an amateur film critic in that way that all, you know, middle-aged men are. When my dad saw Harriet the Spy with me for my birthday when I was like, you know, 10 or whatever, all he would keep shouting is, that was terrible. That was like an MTV music video for like an hour and 45 minutes. I swear to God, I could not believe this was only six minutes. And yet at the same time, it felt like one minute. There was nothing to it. I kind of just, this was a period in time where, and we've talked about it a little bit on the first show that I was lucky enough to be on on this network now and again. We talked about it a bit there where when now and again started, we were just exiting the break the sound barrier sort of phase where, you know, the special edition of a record was 21 tracks. And the reason the special edition of a record was 21 tracks was in part to stop piracy. If mm-hmm. you couldn't fit everything on the one version, you sacrificed something in your piracy. You know, as much as I love her... Tori Amos is kind of the queen of needed to learn to self-edit. Okay, now there's Tori. I think a lot of artists, you know, I can't stop thinking of tracks that I would have cut from a lot of those special editions that hit 23 and 24 songs. This is so symptomatic of the era of media it's from in this sense of, you know, volume creates legacy. Yes, number one. We also just saw, quite literally, like this month, Taylor Swift just put out her new album with 16 unique physical versions with like 16 different iterations of the bonus song or something, right? So like, it still exists. It's still there. It's still, it's crazy. It is bonkers banana pants. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, that is enough about the turbocharged prelude. Let us get into the meat of the episode. Too fast, too furious. Before we go any further, let's kick things off with a discussion question. Letty, Michelle Rodriguez, not in this movie. But if you guys had yes. to pick, who is the most Letty character in this movie? Or if you don't have a character that quite fits, is there a moment in here that you're like, oh, I can see Michelle Rodriguez. I can see Letty doing that. I think that there were some pretty clear stand-ins in this movie for other people. If you had told me that this was based on a script called Let's Vilify All the Brown People, I would have <laughs> believed you more than I would believe that this was actually conceptualized as a sequel to Fast and the Furious. I think that this script that they took that kind of does feel like they've superimposed the Fast and the Furious vibe onto, I feel like, well, I know he's probably meant to play Ja Rule's role. Tej kind of smacks of the facilitator. While he's clearly used as kind of like an anything man, he's kind of like like an ignition factor. He He's the guy you can go to to get things going. And while I know that's not exactly the role Letty played, it is kind of fundamentally the role she plays mm. by being the person who can finesse whatever Dom needs finessed. Suki, in many ways, did kind of capture the energy of Amiya in terms of being the heart of the race. But at the same time, she played kind of an actively passive role in this film and that was something that i think meant that it's there were no women in this film that had agency despite one of them being an agent (laughs) and that is something that letty very much had letty was deeply coded male and the only thing that kept her firmly ensconced in that notion of femininity is the fact that her gender was frequently used as a weapon against her in terms of 
expectation of her ability. So it's really hard to say that somebody is a Letty, as Letty was a coded male character whose unique independence freed her from the confines of male-female dynamics and agency in action films. So it's 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 tough. So I guess the closest would be Tej in this sort of extended metaphor kind of way. I love that. That's awesome. I would never thought that, only because like we have such history with Tej, so I couldn't... Yep. And Kevin, what about you? Do you agree with the Tej maybe as the most Letty, or is there someone else that you see as as Letty, as more Letty, Lettier? I probably agree. I think it's easy to sort of lean into the idea of Ava Mendez's character being the Letty simply because she is one of the only women to have more than 10 lines in the entire movie. But I don't know that it's a clean comparison. That's fair. Joey and I were talking about it today, and we were yep. like, okay, between Suki and Monica Fuentes... Which one is more Letty? And not just because of the gender, but because of the actual kind of the role, the ser- the, the purpose that they serve in the movie, yes. the role, the interactions they have specifically, I think, with Brian. We see that Monica and Brian kind of have a, have like a flirtatious relationship, which... No, they don't. They do, but no, it's... That's a gay dude and his female friend out at the Cheesecake Factory oh, getting stop. mojitos. Wait, are you saying Carter Verone or are you saying Brian? Oh, Brian, I'm sorry. Yeah, I yeah. got really excited. I'm so sorry. No, You're it's right. okay. I'm sorry. We'll get into I just Carter can't Verone. Wait. I just can't wait to get to where Brian is clearly intimate with Roman. <laughs> down to where they scissor at one point early in the film, but... <laughs> I I did think that there and I, this seriously did come to mind. I actually did think that there was a heavy implication that perhaps Verone and Fuentes had been intimate physically. Yeah. I think this is one of those situations where she had to get so deep undercover. She's actually a phenomenal foil for Brian, whereas Brian loves the thrill of the rush. So much that he's willing to compromise. Hurry, hurry, lover, come to me. (laughs) Where he's willing to compromise who he is as a person. She's not. She's literally willing to go down with the ship. Which I really appreciated, especially when it was suggested early on that she had flipped. And that is such a common trope to do. I really appreciated that she didn't. And in the end, was just that deep undercover. But yeah, they they are definitely saying that like she is... Carter Verone's girlfriend. Like, well, they think not... that she's so deep under that she might have flipped entirely, right? That she's like she's yeah. become so in, 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 entrenched in what she's doing. But I think in the end, obviously, she like she rats him out to the to the cops that are being helped by Brian, and they only wind up at the airstrip, right? Because she's the only yeah. one who knew. Like, it's like a very classic movie trope. But like for a long time, you're like, oh, she might just be in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She might be, like, taking them for a ride, yep. I think it's questionable, but I also would question if the roles, if the gender roles were flipped and it was a male undercover officer who was regularly sleeping with this female criminal, we would probably (laughs) just say it's part of his cover, and we wouldn't really question it. Even if she's sleeping with Carter, I don't necessarily think that means she flipped. I do question what she ultimately would have decided to do if Brian hadn't shown up and been so pretty. At least that's what the film wants us to posit. I don't think even if she was sleeping with him, that that necessarily means that she was considering turning. 
But no, I do think that undercover. it's important to the narrative right. that it's a question. It should be a question whatever her gender is because that's the stakes of a film like this. I wish in this regard that the movie cared at all about this, but like I think it just kind of throws it away. It's just like, oh yeah, like we're she's so deep undercover, we don't know. But like it just it doesn't have the interest. Like I think we're we're led to believe that there's been like this course, this history that she's been under for so long that they're not sure maybe she's like missing check 11 months. Like, you like, yeah, slipped up once. Yeah. 11 months. But like as as far as we know, it's, you know, it just it we're new to it cuz you know, whatever. Yeah. So. It's just not her movie, so it didn't really get fully developed and that's, you know, a thing. It's not the worst thing either cuz it's not right. really her movie. It's Tyrese and Paul Walker. It's Brian's once again, yeah. When we were debating whether it was more her or Suki, like the way that I was, just in terms of her position, like she is to a certain extent the female partner of the guy that Brian is investigating, the same way that Brian in the first movie is investigating Dom and Letty is his partner. I was kind of thinking of Monica Fuentes like that, but ultimately... I think Suki is a little bit of a better fit, if only because to some of the points that Nico mentioned about like flipping gender roles. And I think it's it's just a more kind of like a harder, more traditionally coded male, I think. Right. So, yeah, closer to that, at least. Let's talk about Suki for a little bit. Do you know who plays Suki? And then what do you think of her character, the way she's portrayed, the way that her sexuality is portrayed as well? I do not know who plays Suki. I liked her character. I believe my exact words at the beginning of the film were, oh, my God, and they're Japanese. I love them. I loved that this movie started off by trying to introduce other aspects of what was a predominantly, for lack of a better term, stereotypically white and black dominated interpretation of street racing with all Asian people being this vilified Mm -hmm. kind of Yakuza Mm -hmm. in the first film. Here we had kind of a more nuanced look at things. Honestly, every brown person was evil, which I wasn't crazy about as a Cuban man. I just maybe wish they hadn't been like, let's go to Miami where we can find all the Latino (laughs) villains. But it's what they did. And we're stuck with that now, Mm -hmm. I guess. Suki, honestly, I'm excited because she really hits a lot of my buttons. I don't really feel like I got enough from her in this film. I don't feel like I got enough from anybody in this film. I thought huge sequences of this film were the Hot Wheels commercials from my childhood. This movie had less plot than the first one. Oh, absolutely. By far. Because like yeah. I was making a special note of that like 15 minutes in, nothing has happened. There's no plot no. at all. We just see Brian knows these people. He's we're, we're being introduced into the world. And I think in terms of the limited-ish character development that we get, we know who these people are to a certain extent. And I think that that's nice. But like also later in the movie, when Brian shows up and they're like playing poker, that's like a minute and a half long scene that has nothing to do with anything. And then at the end of it, Brian's like, all right, I'm going to bed, man. And like, that's it. And it's just like, wait, mm-hmm. what? And this movie is not very long. It feels like the entire actual plot of this could have fit in like a 45-minute SVU episode or something, right? Like it doesn't feel like it requires an hour 40. And yet, I think the visual nature of all this makes this a very kind of fascinating, interesting, weird kind of movie. I found a quote from Vin Diesel from 2015 where he talked about how he was less taken with what the scriptwriters had in mind for this film. And he said, and yeah, this is a quote, they didn't take a Francis Ford Coppola approach to it. They approached it like they did sequels in the 80s and 90s where they would drum up a new story unrelated for the most part and slap the name on it. Yes, let's all take a moment for that Francis Ford Coppola comment. 
fantastic. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, overall, I think he has a really excellent point. And I said to Nico earlier, if you just changed Brian's name and backstory and you changed the name of this movie, this would instead feel like part of a different Paul Walker car trilogy. It has Fast and the Furious, this, and Joyride. And it's just Paul Walker with a different male co-star and getting in trouble with cars mm-hmm. in every movie. Yeah, yes. Because it lifts pretty, as far as I can tell, it feels like it pretty much just lifts right out, but we also don't know. This movie and Tokyo Drift, like, we love, like, Tokyo Drift is one of our favorites. It's hard to rank these because we we do genuinely love all of them, but this is pretty consistently toward the bottom of people's favorites. Like, this is, it feels, to your point, it kind of feels inessential. It does kind of lift out. Like, you don't really need this movie, but I think we do get a lot of great development, and, like, especially... The certain characters, and I, I won't, I won't tip my hat. I mean, you probably know, but like certain characters that continue, I think we get really great introductions here, and then other ones, you know, people that we would love to see back don't necessarily have much of a development. So we want more from those certain characters. Yeah, this could have easily been the turbocharged prelude for four. If this would have been the like in between piece, it would have made a lot more sense to get you to four. But like two and three, you're right; they kind of sit separately, and that's why people rank them weird because. To be honest, if you didn't see two or three, it wouldn't make a difference between you seeing four. Like, you would never have lost the characters to have to bring them back, so... Right, because they're reintroduced effectively in, like, four and five, right? So, in a weird way, and I don't know if, if Nico and Kev, if you have the same perspective, given that you've only seen these movies once, but I think almost the most interesting, and it's not mentioned really at all, like, it's very, very glossed over, like, the most interesting character development in here is kind of Brian, you know, getting reeled back into police work, but also, like, how Bilkins goes from being LAPD to, like, did he get, like, unceremoniously, like, ri- like railed Bounced. out of town because, like, he screwed up on the Dom case? Or, like, did he go by choice? Like, I think the Bilkins storyline going from being Brian's boss in the first one to basically being Brian's boss again here with Nico with your guy James Remar, the Bilkins transition is, like, one of the more interesting things, at least seven watches deep, and, like, they don't really care about that much at all. No, he's just back because he was in the first one. Yeah. But yeah. there's no explanation on how he got from California to Florida. It seemed like they're trying to pitch it like he's coming back to bring Brian back in, right? Because he knows Brian. He can kind of be his handler. They don't really do that, and he kind of stays and becomes Brian's boss there. Let's talk about, I mean, do you guys have a particular at all affinity toward Bilkins? And also, please give us your thoughts on James Remar, because I know that at least Nico is very excited to talk about James Remar. I just think he's super hot, okay. straight up. He's just a hot old man. I get it. <laughs> but beyond that, in some ways... Fast and the Furious is kind of like a cool high school kind of movie. All the teachers are bumbling morons. (laughs) And all law enforcement in these films are bumbling morons. Yeah. I don't know. Because, like, because... Bilkins kind of seemed like he got bumped up to the FBI. That's what's like. I, I wonder if this was by choice because like they don't capture Dom. Like we see Dom in the credits of one like driving through Mexico, right? Like we don't see. It seems like Bilkins got a promotion. If he's handling this case, he has been promoted. But now he seems kind of like he seemed kind of put upon, and like things were hard for him in the first movie. But here, he almost seems like, haha, let's do the bad thing. And also, like, him in his, like, Hawaiian shirt, like, it was my day off. Like, he does seem to be, like, a more relaxed, like, maybe he retired. Maybe he's just, like, I'm moving That's to true. Florida. I'm at the end of my career. Ah. And they're like, oh, the FBI. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm fascinated by this Bilkins transition. And, like, the movie does not give a shit because no, why would care. the movie care? And Bilkins also never, I will spoil, Bilkins never comes back, unfortunately. But, like, I want answers to my Bilkins questions. Maybe he'll be the bad guy of Fast Furious 12. 
I would love it. Maybe he's the voice, Joe. I won't say what that means. Oh, what if God. Wilkins is the voice? Oh, God. Yeah, maybe. Is he still alive? Who are you? I don't know your name. I'm sorry, man. Tom Barry. Are you still alive? Yeah, all right. He's going to turn 70 this December. We could do it. Come on, Tom Barry. Come back to us. Come back. Yeah, that's not bad. That could do a cameo. Septuagenarians are absolutely still badasses. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What did you guys think of the stare and drive? Ugh. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't super hot for you? You didn't want to just fall into Brian's eyes? Nico doesn't even remember what you're talking about. Oh, it's when they're driving, when Brian is driving and Monica Fuentes is in the passenger seat. And she's like, you might want to keep your eyes on the road there, playboy. And he's like, what, you think we're going to crash? And she's like, I I haven't made up my mind yet. And he just stares at her while they do like a hundred down a surface road and then stop exactly at the stoplight. And then Roman says, you doing the stare and drive? He learned that from me. Oh, yes. Okay. I thought that was stupid. (laughs) No, I don't find that sexy. I find Paul Walker sexy, sure. But do I find that road hazard sexy? No. <laughs> and you know, and and let me so I've been watching a lot of true story or creepy pasta sort of YouTube videos lately because uh, I need some way to relax at night. I I listen to this one guy and he just happens to use a lot of kind of I guess similar sounding stories and maybe it is just that everybody's true life story kind of comes out in the same creepy pasta generator style. They all sort of end with the same shortly after that we moved out and it was for unrelated reasons. My dad got a new job in another part of the country, and we relocated. But I never forgot that time that my boyfriend nearly stabbed me in the head. Right? But, like, there's this one in particular that I just heard. It was, like, this woman was dating a skydiving instructor for a few weeks, and she was like, "Let's." Ju-, he was like, let's jump out of this plane. It's a night jump. And, like, right before they jumped, he was like, I've decided to end it all and take you with me. And he was just like fucking with her. And when they got on the ground, you know, she's like, flash forward four years later, me and that guy got married. JK, I dumped his ass. And I'm like, <laughs> all right. Um, there are things that kind of translate in this photo cell of a John Hughes movie mm-hmm. where it has all the beats of right and it has all the hits of correct sometimes you can't figure out what it is why it just doesn't have that mm, why like your favorite song by this one band wasn't as big as all the others right yeah this is not one of those situations <laughs> i can point to the amateurishness of this script and it's the script it's really the script that reads like the flavor text on a fucking basketball card <laughs> i don't know who came up with these characters, but like Brian is not the same character. This Brian is kind of a schmuck. Roman is not the same lovable dickbag that Dom is. And I mean, I wouldn't want him to be, but like, I don't know that I'm walking away from this film feeling like, yes, I trust Roman. To some extent, I'm kind of like, I'm a little afraid for Roman. If Roman misses a dose, he might have a bad day. What I picked up on this, I mean, at the end of this movie, when he turns in the extra three bags of money without spoiling where he winds up, I'm like, that is so against type of where he will be in a few movies that like he would never in a future movie, Roman would never give up that money. This is a very different, angrier, more determined, more focused. But he's trying to get free too. You have to remember that because at this point he's, he's not a free man. So he's like fulfilling his, his duty to get his freedom back, which is that, that plays a little bit. And speaking of fulfilling his D, Let's talk about fulfilling his destiny. He has the smash factor. 
Oh, immediately we, we both agreed that that was what his power was within like factor. a minute of him appearing on screen. Is that his ability to just punch through windows? That smash factor or what smash factor? If he's around, people can crash cars and survive illogically. Okay. Mm-hmm. He can also punch through windows, you know, and like when they kick out that um, windshield later on in the movie and it comes out beautifully instead of showering them in little bits of glass like it would have he's got the smash factor and that makes him the smasher right and okay. he's got the smash speed when he needs it uh, I also want to talk for a moment about how much I fucking love that Brian got to upgrade to limit break level 2 Okay. in the beginning of the movie he flies and yeah. I immediately went he just flew he just flew. Now this he can speed fly. Yes. He started to level up. He unlocked the power of flight. And yep. then by the end, he almost has mastery of it. Absolutely. He figures out how to crash a boat party. Yeah. And I feel like his ability to further unlock the fast force was given to him by the virtue of... Of being so close to the Furious Force for so long from Dom. By giving, like, because you almost can see more of Dom and Brian in this movie. Yes. I mean, and the thing is, I love Tyrese as both a performer and as, like, a dude. But his acting chops here are not quite the acting chops I'm going to be looking for in later films. Well, same thing with Paul Walker, too. I've seen later Paul Walker, and I don't know that I think Paul Walker gets significantly better, but, like, I know Tyrese does. Okay. There's parts of this that are, like, so everybody took an improv or public speaking class at some point in their life, and everybody had that one guy who's really innately funny, but then when he tries to do the improv, it always comes off very wooden. Ha ha. Uh, that, your mom, too. (laughs) Yeah, I... Burn, sick burn. And like so much of Tyrese's delivery in this movie was that. The one thing that made it much better was his chemistry with Paul Walker. Yes. Was extraordinary. Brian and Roman, number one, they have fucked. I do not care what anyone says. They have (laughs) scissor dicked themselves to death. They've jerked off with eye contact. That's not a question. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And like one time, like I bet one time Roman was even like, you want to do it for me? And like meaning it kind of playfully. And Brian just like couldn't help himself and reached out. No, I'm I'm kidding. (laughs) Why do you always make them cry? (laughs) <laughs> oh, well, I just think it's funny because I automatically go to Tobias Funke crying in the shower. Oh, okay. That's Never like nude. exactly where I go. Got it. Never nude. There are literally dozens of us. Dozens, Michael. Tens of us. Is it, is it's it dozens? dozens? It doesn't. It's dozens. Good for me. Roman has these things about him where he's like, yeah, well, I got you. Ha, 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 ha. And it doesn't come off like cocky. It comes off like a bully who forgot to take his Adderall that day. <laughs> I love the authenticity of the petulance of Brian saying, you still fight like shit. You still fight like shit. While they were fighting, that felt so real. Like maybe Tyrese threw a punch a little too hard in rehearsal or something. Yes. So this is this is the theory that we have, and I'm glad you guys saw this and totally brought this up. I have a theory that we know that Brian and Tyrese became really good friends on the set of this movie, and they would often get in trouble for like hanging out too much and partying too much in Miami because they were in Miami, so they were like showing up to set late and like getting in trouble. 
you see the real chemistry between Brian and Tyrese, but they also like have given up on the film. So they're like, like just totally mailing in their lines for a lot of it, but you can still see that they're actually friends and having fun. So that's why you get like all the great moments of like, that you still fight like shit and stuff like that. But also it feels like Tyrese is just like off because he's mailing it in or hungover from partying with Brian all night for partying with Paul Walker all night. I appreciate that perspective. And in some ways it actually makes me like this movie a little bit more. If somebody had said to me, no, no, the cast of Miami Vice gave up on the movie halfway through it. What is it about Miami movies? That's why I brought up Dorothy's Bornak because I'm in Miami. That's so, true. That's true. I agree with Kevo. Although the parts of this movie were just straight up Camp Nowhere for cars. I think from the 2003 end of this, I probably really wouldn't like this movie. It would probably very much turn me off from the franchise because it feels just really cheap and it doesn't have the same emotional core that you could even see in the first movie. Knowing that it's a franchise that continues and having spinoffs, like, so minor movies that can lift out don't really matter as much from this perspective 17 years later. It's just a really risky gambit as your second outing if you want any sort of longevity. That is the craziest thing that like as this as the second movie and to a certain extent Tokyo Drift as the third movie the fact that they got a like the fact that they got a third like I think the, the third fact that they got one a second is going to be the hardest to, yeah. to it's great but you, everything that you're saying about two you're going to be like oh my god I, I can't believe they made a fourth one after this for right. sure. Once you have four and four kind of resets and reestablishes things then you're like okay cool like we have a thing we are going forward with the thing, whatever. Even though 4 is not wildly successful financially, they at least looks like they have a plan. When you're seeing 2 and 3, even as somebody who, like, loves cars, because, like, the movies transition from being car movies to action movies, even if you love cars, you're like, what is, what is this even about? Like, who are these people? Why do I care? To see this movie spawn a sequel and then to see 3 spawn a sequel, it's just like, whoa, okay. So I agree with you. I wholeheartedly, Kevo. It's just like, it's crazy that, like, this is what they wound up with and that it still was successful enough for them to be like, yeah, we'll keep going. And I really get and appreciate that because there are a lot of things that I love, most specifically in the last few years, Once Upon a Time and The Magicians, where the first seasons of these shows, I feel like I have to make so many apologies for them. Yeah. Once you love the show, when you go back and watch the early stuff, you find tons of things to love and enjoy because you understand where the characters are going to go. Mm-hmm. You understand the position they were in at the time when they were making it. So you just have a better perspective. But when you're first introducing it to someone, it sucks to have to be like, just push through, please. Because yeah. I promise there are good things, but it's a really rough start. Yeah, like, it's a weird thing to see writers develop their voice. And I think this is a little different because these are different screenwriters. I mean, Chris Morgan will take over shortly and basically do all of them. And Justin Lin will direct most of them. So there's going to be consistency. But here it's like, instead of having like a writer's room develop the Once Upon a Time characters, it's like, okay, we know roughly who, you know, Brian O'Connor is, but now everything else is new. Do something with cars. And it's like, well, oh, okay, it's it's strange. I actually felt that while I, I really do stick with my, my theory that this is a superhero film series, and yeah. I can't wait to explain to you how Tej is the ignition technician and Ooh, his ability... The remix to ignition technician? If a plan is unlikely and you bring him in... He can get it started, right? But oh we'll get to that in a minute, right? Because otherwise there okay. were not that many racers. He literally did the Twilight Bark and summoned all 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> it's true. But I 
kind of think that there is a lot to be said about the parallels between Fast and Furious 1 through 3 and Halloween 1 through 3, where there's these weird connective tissue threads, almost like muscle adhesions, blurring the lines between 1 and 2 in a way where like they kind of overlap, but it's an ugly overlap where you already told part of this and you're telling it again in a way that changes it in an unnatural way, almost like you're retrofitting a redesign as though the first one was never there. Kind of like partial re like partial retcon culture, partial reboot culture in a lot of ways. And then the third one is just off the wall unrelated, ultimately has come to be significant to the franchise and its success. And I would say in ways that you have no idea, Season of the Witch and Tokyo Drift are both one wonderful and maybe arguably on a certain day i mean on a certain day like my favorite in each franchise i don't know that like season which will ever i'll ever like it more than the first one but like it's wonderful in its weirdness tokyo drift is wonderful and like it's like a i don't know how this really fits in like certain things do but your metaphor your comparison is almost more insightful than you know yeah i mean i also feel exactly the same way where it's very much like i don't know that you'll ever get me to say that there is a better grindhouse porn rebirth of horror movies like i don't think there is a better one from that era than halloween but if you told me i could only have halloween or season of the witch ever again i might have to save season of the witch for posterity's sake silver shamrock baby it's it's a tough one man and then like if you try to fuck with me about halloween 4 like halloween 4 is another one that's just like so perfect i don't know if i've ever seen 4 but okay that isn't 4 the one with the little girl who becomes possessed by michael myers and like kills her family and then at the end she's holding the knife and it's like oh my god she is the new michael myers and then the fifth one starts with them being like jk she's fine (laughs) (laughs) love it love it So let's talk about Tej as the ignition technician. Please, let's talk about him. Thank you. So clearly they realized that Ja Rule's character didn't make any sense in the first film. Mm -hmm. And I think that comes across really clearly. They offered Ja Rule a lot of money or they they offered it like um, he they offered him a part in in two. And he said, no, I want more money. They're like, cool, never mind. And then they got ludicrous. And then like after the fact, after he saw ludicrous or whatever, he's like, oh, I should have. But like they wanted to get Ja Rule back, believe it or not. That is embarrassing. Mm, you know. Essentially, uh, Ja Rule walked around like a bar mitzvah hype guy. And <laughs> oh, God. Just sort of kept being like, everybody get it up. We're getting excited. Bump up and down. <laughs> and that's like all he did the whole film. Like, I mean, basically, he was that stoplight at the beginning of Mario Kart. It's really hard to have less agency than women in these movies. And he did. <laughs> did he listen? <laughs> then we get Tej and... From the moment Tej walks on screen and we see that big motherfucking honking, ludicrous, beautiful, God-given afro, right? The quality of his melanin runs through him in a way that Ja Rule's blackness was used performatorily by the directors to be like, oh, look, and we have a black guy. There is something so much more authentically real about both Roman and Tej as black men in this environment and in this construct that does kind of balance out how annoyed I am about the portrayal of all Latinos in this film. (laughs) You know, it's just so hard to see black men treated fairly in action films. It's really a rarity to find them used as something other than the muscle. So getting to see a, I mean, like we didn't really get much of it, but I feel like if he runs a garage for these kind of cars, he's got to be a tech master. So I sort of projected him 
into like a category of on the same level as Johnny Tran. Oh, I call everybody. The bad guys are always the dark writers. The first movie was Johnny Tran. This movie was obviously, oh, I keep going to call him um, Miami Capote. What Carter was his name? Verone. Carter Verone. He's not Miami Capote. That's That's fair. a good name, so, though. By making Verone this very prissy and look at me cut the the head of this penis cigar off, like, Mm -hmm. it's so over the top that he might as well be like, I crack nuts. You know what I mean? Like, it's so fucking stupid, right? That he's such an over the top villain. There's something magical about the way that Tej gives so little information but pops off the screen, kind of like a John Constantine. You know, to make a really weird example, a Fraser Crane. Oh. Fraser was meant to be this really minor character on Cheers and disappear after two episodes. There was something so fucking ridiculous about this character that everybody needed it, and Kelsey Grammer went on to play the most consistent live-action character in television history. Tej has that sort of mystery factor, and that's part of what makes it so easy to project greatness onto him. Because he is said to own a shop, because it's he's the guy to go to. I kind of wondered why he wasn't a racer. That's kind of a level of agency. You. I don't... Uh, right, uh, he has an injury. But I don't project that same level of agency onto Suki, because Suki isn't given ownership of things the way Tej is. There's sort of an implicit sense of property ownership in these films, per the real estate of a car, that translates to an inherent value and by giving Tej a garage you've given him a space station in the age of rockets and I think that is really why he leaps off the screen despite such minimal dialogue for him not talking as much he's like the most memorable part of this movie and as much as Roman is doing all of the like character things Tej is like the one that you're like oh shit we definitely need him back for sure absolutely I think what's also interesting the way that they're portrayed right like Roman is kind of our entry point like Brian's the character we're following but like Roman's the one new to this world and so in a way that like Dom is introducing Brian to race wars and to things in the first movie Brian's introducing Roman to things like Tej's boat races right and so like we're learning about the mystique the aura of this man the way that we're introduced to him with like the just seeing his afro from the back and then the you know the phone and then the mouth like we don't really see him and then he comes out and he's like the MC like but Tej is kind of the dom of Miami right like that's a word Tej runs shit yeah but I'm just saying like in terms of like the actual like the narrative like not not the role they play but like the way that like Brian is ushering Roman and us like Brian has been established for some number some amount of time right like long enough to develop a relationship with Tej that when they need a fourth racer Tej calls him and then he'll get a cut of the winnings right like he's been there long enough to be in on the scene so as as he shows Roman, like, the boat races, like, here's who you need to know, here's who's cool, here's Suki, she does this, or whatever, he's showing us, too, and it's the same thing, like, Dom welcoming Brian and showing Brian, you know, Neptune's net, and the food Mm -hmm. shack, and the, you know, the garage, and the race wars, and whatever, right? So, because Roman is us, he's inherently less interesting? I don't know that I think that Roman is less interesting. I think it's that Roman has a real Raphael vibe. Like the Ninja Turtle Raphael? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. In the first movie, Dom is kind of like a put-upon Italian Leonardo. In that first movie, Brian is kind of the straight-laced... It's, it's so hard because Roman goes a place that most characters don't get to go. He's meant to be cockily unlikable. When you think about unlikable characters because they're cocky, you think of House, Rick from Rick and Morty. You think of these two cool-for-their-school kind of guys. But Roman is boisterous. Roman is loud. 
Roman is that guy that's like, I have so much sex because of my big penis. <laughs> you you kind of have to be like, oh, okay, buddy. And he's like, what do you do today? I fuck. <laughs> and like, okay, pal, calm down. We all know that you penis, right? And like, he's a very specific kind of brash that makes him a different kind of questionable than Dom. These are interesting characters in a very uninteresting film. And I think that that you'll you'll get the best parts of this without the worst parts as the series goes on. Yes, that's true. I can I can agree with that. I'm super duper in on it. So it seems like overall you liked parts of this movie but didn't like the movie overall. Is that fair to say or is is that a uh, too over-characterization, under-characterization of your thoughts about this. No, that's pretty fair. Yeah. I mean, I will say without going too much deeper, like this is one, like I said before, people like it, but aren't crazy about it in the grand scheme of things. Like, the series is going to reach a pinnacle in a couple of movies, but I, you know, one movie at a time, let's not get ahead of ourselves. One of the things that I most like about this is I enjoy just, like, the coloring of it. It, like, feels, like, very Miami and the neon of it. And when we talk about it, we're like, that's like our favorite part of this movie. Yeah, I mean, you could pretty much put this movie on mute and play the score from the first one. Yeah. And be fine. Oh, but I did like the score of this movie. It was David Arnold who composed for Stargate and Independence Day and a whole bunch of other good stuff. Big over-the-topness. Which explains a very 90s vibe. What did you guys think about the color palette of this movie? Because in the first movie, I don't know if we talked about it last time. You might have read it in the trivia but like the director Rob Cohen had how like literally asked houses to paint their outsides more muted colors so the cars popped more like the focus was clearly on the cars and here it's like an overwhelming like we're in Miami there's no doubt about that everything is colorful the outfits are colorful the cars are colorful the background's colorful like the credits are colorful did you think that worked or do you think that that didn't did that sort of distract like was it too much I, I know you guys are like oh yeah I loved the Miami this is not Miami this is so muted for what Miami should be it's toned down too much already still yeah this is not vibrant this was it was nice but like we watched it in hd on an hd tv streaming at high quality and like it could have been brighter yeah fair that's awesome though this won't mean anything to you guys yet but joe when they're talking about tanya in this movie i was like i wonder if tanya and no knees denise know each other oh my god yeah right we never talked about that but there's there might be a history there might be a shared history there so it might be friends the last one that I saw that I never got to when we were talking about, like, the most Letty moment, Monica Fuentes, Brian's like, how long have you been a cop? And she's like, oh, I've lost track. And I was like, oh, it's like, I don't, you know what I mean? It was mm-hmm, a very Letty mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. so. I don't mean this shitty, but if you've forgotten how long you have been a cop, I kind of feel maybe, perhaps, like it's time to put the badge down because all the days have blurred into one. (laughs) I think you might need to be put on disability because you can't tell your days apart. You do not look old enough to not be able to tell years of how long since you graduated from police academy training. Guys, I heard Ava Mendez is starting to sundown, but it's a Miami sundown, so it's really neon. And that right there sort of epitomizes a lot of the problems with this script. That is a very lazy way of not giving an answer to that question, but making it seem like a really long time. Do you guys have any other thoughts about this movie, or do you want to play a couple games? Like, I'm sad that the next movie isn't the organic next film, but I'm really glad to get back to my sweet Dom 
Vin Diesel is just so nice to look at. And he'll get more and more ripped as we go, too. So You know, last episode, we were sort of surprised by your shared affection toward Johnny Tran, your your admiration of Tr- Johnny Tran's beauty. Was there someone in this movie that we might not be... Like, is it James Remar? Who surprised you with their hotness in this movie? Is there anybody? I appreciate that question. Yeah. I mean, like, James Remar is, like, goal, pain, bottom, daddy, sub. Like, he is just, like... <laughs> The dream, like, I just want to get him a really beautiful collar and just, like, kick him occasionally. And he'd just love it. Beyond that, who was the bad guy? Rutger Hauer? Cole Hauser? What was it? Rutger Hauer, Carter Verone, yes. So he's actually the grandson of one of the actual Warners, like, the Warner Warners. Is he really? Yeah, and he's the son of a screenwriter and dropped out of high school to use his family's connections to become an actor. When he was 16 years old, married one of the actresses from the WWOR-UPN syndicated version of Sweet Valley High. He's pretty, but in a way that if I looked at him, I would be like, oh, you're pretty in a kind of like forgettable way. And I'm actually not that attracted (laughs) to Paul Walker in the first place. Like, generally, he's not my thing. He's a little too pretty boy for me. I like him with a little bit more wear and tear. Like, give me a good acne scar. I was going to okay, say, okay. and I think you would probably agree, what was the Latino guy with the orange color palette, typically, yeah. who was rude? He was a he was a douche. Yeah, that's a Maury Nolasco. He plays Sucre on Prison Break. That's what I know him from. The character is deplorable, but if you're asking who was the surprise hottie of this film, yeah, probably him. I okay. also enjoyed the two guys who were told, dance in this one place in this scene behind Ava Mendez without looking at her tits. In that scene, it's not that part, but I do like that um, as they're walking through the club and like there's the, the floating chairs, the chairs suspended by chains in the from the ceiling, she like spins one of the chairs. Like as she walks by, I'm like, that wasn't in this. Like she just like doing it. Like the lady's <laughs> spinning in the chair and she's like, yeah, we're going to do that. And like just as they're walking by, but... Uh, we love Mrs. Ryan Gosling on this, so yeah, I mean, sure. we, we're big Ava Mendes fans. So You know, like, I don't know if it's just the fact that I am, like, Cuban, so, like, I grew up around a lot of beautiful brown ladies, but, like, when I think of, like, the women who take my breath away, Ava Mendes is so high up my fucking yep. list. She is just an unacceptably beautiful level of beautiful. Like, my, like I think one of the most beautiful women on Earth is Leighton Meester, like, it's really hard to come close to Leighton Meester in that episode of The Orville for me. Like, that is the most perfect a woman can look. Really? Okay. At number two, alternates between Fergie at every point in her life that isn't that moment where she Peter Pants on stage and Elodie Young in the Electra costume, right? That switches between two and four all the time. But I, I think Ava Mendez in this movie might be my permanent number three. Wow. Cool. Okay. Very, very cool. The last thing I want to get your opinion on, I sort of like hinted at this earlier. I don't think we ever got there, but for as good as this franchise is at representation, and we will see that as the movies go on, they are adding more actors of color and everything. And like, there's a lot of representation here. The one thing it is distinctly and sorely lacking in is queer representation. I think that's just kind of like, you guys did a whole thing on MCU about like how heteronormative and like how overtly hetero, like how they have to like have Captain America, like very clearly hitting on Peggy Carter or hitting on, you know, her niece or whatever, right? Like, it's like, we need to prove that he is a straight dude. The closest thing I think we get to a queer character in any of these movies really is Suki. And I don't know if you picked up on that. I don't know if that's something like... No. I have gay sex, right? Yeah. Like, I, I've had gay sex in the last 24 hours, even. I'm telling you, the gayest thing in these films is definitely Roman and Brian. Okay. 
there, there's one particular line that Suki says where she where Tej is hitting on her and she says make sure you come back with the right parts or something like that and so like it's hinting at that and then later you know after her front end wink wink gets damaged and then you know she basically decides to bring it by the garage who knows how that's going to turn out but like it's the one thing that this franchise is lacking we have a theory as the franchise goes on in terms of a character who we kind of hoped was gay and maybe isn't but I just wanted to get your take on that but if if, if the high watermark is water, uh, Broman and Brian you know we're okay with that I just kind of assume it's going to be Bow Wow because you know there's all those Bow Wow is gay in real life rumors and we would be happy to have him real handsome dude yeah fascinated to see how this goes hopefully it's not Charlize Theron I love her as an actress and I kind of love her as a person for the most part but every time I try and imagine her in anything she's just evil well we will see in Fate of the Furious I don't want to spoil anything I assume she has to be evil in this and if she's an evil dyke in this I just don't have the gay (laughs) patience for it well we will get there in uh, six movies so just buckle up proverbially always buckle up it's the law always buckle up but next guys you know it's time for this ain't no 10 second race aka boy do we have a podcast for you so if you'll remember last time we played a game where each of us went on twitter.com on the bird app and we found the tweet somebody ostensibly would enjoy the podcast somebody tweeted about something we replied to them by saying boy do we have a podcast for you we see if they respond if they like retweet favorite or like retweet reply or email us you get points and as we know almost immediately not on air but almost immediately following it nico had a really good showing so let's see while you guys look for new tweets, I already have mine. I'm just going to say that. But okay. while you look for new tweets, I'm going to review last episodes. I found Claudia Dragon Emoji at Claudia Ruiz. Okay, but nobody talks about how hot Johnny Tran is in the Fast and Furious. Boy, do we have a podcast, a podcast for, you. for you. Nothing. Joe, you found Jake Landy at Jake and Snake's Fast and Furious Melrose Place Drift. Sounds like a promising future for the franchise boy do we have a podcast, have a podcast for, you. for you nothing we didn't talk about Mars place at all this episode oh well now you can sorry. it's not That's over fine. yet now nico you found michael jenkins at mjj writes in hell jared leto's joker gives you a tribal tattoo and reads the plot to all 29 fast and furious films for eternity boy do we have a podcast, podcast for, for you, you. And this is almost unprecedented. Michael retweeted, so that's two points. He liked it, so that's a third point. He replied, which is five more points. And he also followed us, which is not a thing that we have a metric for. Joe, what? how many points should we give for a follow? I think at least five or ten, right? Because we had email us a ten, so like I think a follow has got to be ten. So, Nico, I think you get 18 points on this one. <laughs> I'm like literally prouder than you'd think. No, you should be because you are now in third place within striking distance of me and Joe after one gameplay. It's crazy how good that was. Yeah, that was really good. Kevo, you found Adrian Purr at OMG Adrian. I just found out that all the cars from the Fast and Furious series were cakes. Boy, do we have a podcast for you. For you. It got a like, but it was from the Mikester, so that does not count, unfortunately. So Kevo, you like me and Joe struck out but nico held it down for 18 points is the highest single tweet that we've ever sent out it's crazy yes yeah insane well i have found my tweet for you 
All right, okay. if you want to either DM it to Too Fast Too Forever or just drop it in the Discord chat, that would be fine. Oh, I forgot that that wasn't really Kevo's, that was Nico's, but, like, Kevo, you can commiserate with us. Me and Joe just, like, we're very sad because we're not good at this game, so. Yeah, his points are my points, so it's fine. He kept, I guess Nico, his his history was true that he kept the better homework for himself, right? So. Can I just tell you guys who to look up? Uh, sure, I can do that. Cole Tucker, 4202, rolling your Hot Wheels across her titties. As a response to normalize using toys during sex. And I don't think any tweet quite so succinctly encapsulates my contributions to this fucking show the way that does. Boy, do we. I just retweeted that. Who boy? Boy, do we have a podcast, have a podcast for you. you. Now you got to find another one, or Kevo, you can find one. And Joe, do you have one, or have you not I have one. Yet? I have All one. Right. I'm posting it in the Discord chat. It's from Jillian... At emo Canadian, but she was responding to Kyle for president, and she says, "Have you seen Too Fast, Too Furious? It's already been proven. Brian and Roman are disgraced old gay lovers. Thank you for listening to my TED talk. Boy, Boy do, do we, we have, have a, podcast a podcast for you. For you, I found one for Kevo, and I'm just so excited to share it because I mean, it can't beat that. If you look up gender hack G three N D R." H-V-C-K-R, they tweeted, begin transmission, tell 45P3CT to put up the flyers, end transmission, and they used an app called Cheap Bots Done Quick that is also (laughs) very relevant to me that their most recent tweet, the creator of this bot now has a Patreon. Click here to support me. What? Patreon.com slash hologram Vin, which is amazing. And Vin Thank has you. patrons at $79 a month. Wow. Fuck. Right? I wonder if they're just other bots sharing the wealth. This is how the bot revolution starts. Nico, what did you what did you search for to find this tweet? Transmission. Yeah, I decided <laughs> to start looking for car parts, and when I was looking through transmission and saw so much COVID, I wound up getting really raptured by the numbers. And then this was just down there somewhere. It works. Wow. Perfect. I am gonna go with younger Asian kid at Choco Days feel like pure shit just want Suki back in the Fast and Furious franchise mm. and then a gif of Suki from the beginning of the movie saying what's up bullet boy do we, we have, have a, a podcast, podcast. he definitely you, gets us uh, there was a, a tweet that was like are there any major Latino celebrities that haven't revealed themselves to be anti-black lives matter still do we at least still have Ava Mendez? And a lot of people were like, she doesn't count because she doesn't work anymore. And then somebody put, and I guess you can say she doesn't open her damn mouth. And I was like, I guess that's all true. So we're not going to use that. It's <laughs> very sad. Also, she's a full-time mom. Let's normalize moms working. That's a very that's a very important job. You're allowed to retire whenever you want. She's paid. Let her yeah. go. Yeah, she doesn't have to work because we want to see her in more movies. Fuck also, us. she's got to support what I can only imagine is Ryan Gosling's fragile ego. Oh, true. He's just an actor, right? So, okay, okay, yeah. okay. The final game, and I'm going to give you guys a choice again whether you want to be on my team and give clues or Joe's team and once again guess clues. Dude, what's my car? A car picture from Hector Pena. So do you guys want to? Help oh, we're gonna me give we're clues? gonna guess. You're gonna guess again. Okay. Okay. We're all guess. This is from Hector. Okay. Hey Joey's, got another car pick for y'all. This is a new sports car, hint, that can rival similar cars. He says it's the fastest hatchback on the Nurburgring that he knows of. Ooh. It's a Korean car, 
It says this proved to him that Korea, South Korea, can make good sports cars as well as the cars that are heavy hitters from Japan. Here it is. Got to go. Stay fast. Stay furious. So it's a South Korean the car. BTS Veloster. It's a Veloster. I was going to say a Hyundai Veloster. I didn't know they made a new one. They made a 20. I, I, yeah. I mean. Is yeah. it? Yeah. Is it, There's only like one Korean Veloster car maker. Hyundai. Okay. Hyundai. Hold on. I said a BTS Veloster. Because the only thing I know from Korea is BTS, and then I randomly picked a car that I thought was German. Well, you got it right. It's a Hyundai Veloster. It's a 2020 Hyundai oh my Veloster. God. Yeah, you nailed that. I'm the wow. best at all of your games. Yes. Do we want to do it. another one, or do you want to just call, call no, it a I No, I'm going it. out a king. Yeah, we crushed it. That was okay. it. Wow, wow, wow. Wow, that was awesome, dude. When you said that, I was like, "Are you are you able to see my screen?" Because like I, I did not expect it to be a wildly difficult one, but I did not expect. No offense, Nico, I did not expect you to get it. I expect Joe to get it. But like when you yeah. just came out of the gate before it's Joe could awesome. guess, that was unbelievable. Round of I just said a BTS Veloster. Thank you for steering yeah, I mean, like, the BTS me in the right, right direction. Like, yeah, it's kind of like you know, if this was Jeopardy, I'd be like, "Can you be more specific?" He'd be like, "No," and I'd be like, "All right," but like, <laughs> you got the last name right, essentially. So yeah, it's like that episode of Golden Girls where they say the final Jeopardy question is, "Who's buried in Grant's tomb?" Dorothy says Ulysses Grant, and she's wrong because the answer is Carrie Grant. They didn't specify which Grant or which tomb. <laughs> I thought it was no one. Is Carrie Grant buried there? I don't think Carrie Grant is buried in Ulysses Grant's tomb. Yeah, I thought, I thought no one's buried in the tomb. Is Carrie Grant dead? Oh, that's oh, Carrie Elways. No, yes. Right. <laughs> I would be devastated if we'd lost Carrie Elways. Because then how could we get one of these amazing at-home, come-together, fake reunions of Men in Tights? Well, you know, as long as Josh Gad is out there... You know, he's going to do his best to bring people back from the dead to get these things to happen, right? So I love Josh Gad. And we love you guys. Thank you so much for joining yeah, us once again on Seriously. Too Fast, Too Forever. Thank you so much. If you guys want to plug, whatever you want to plug, do you want to plug HTML, which is in the midst of Fantastic Four, or Access for Podcast? Are there any uh, Captain Britain or Marvel Man episodes of that show coming up anytime soon or no? There's a Captain Britain Next X. So... Keep a sharp ear out for the midpoint on the Alan Moore, Alan Davis transformative run of Captain Britain, which ultimately saw the creation of the numerical system of the multiverse of the Marvel Universe. So that Mm. whole 616-1606 kind of nonsense business, all that numerical shit that comes from this. So if you're looking for a deeper understanding of a weird British old wizard and what he thinks a superhero should be like... Definitely listen to that. Or if you want to hear some slightly more normal stuff, check out HTML where we're talking about the different iterations of the Fantastic Four or our other episodes of X's for Podcast where we're currently making sure to break down every issue of the weekly X-Men releases. As they come out, we have an unbelievable slew of guest hosts coming up in the next couple of weeks. Keep an ear out. We have the folks from shows like Vox Krakoa, and don't forget to keep listening. We have some giveaways coming up. Ooh. And uh, yeah, we're very excited. So you definitely want to check us out on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. God damn it. I hate, just hate the sound of my own voice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we all do. You're, you're not alone. That is a lie. You know, I love the sound of my voice. It's beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you both for joining us. So now next episode. Next episode you guys are on, we're going to be doing talking about Los Bondoleros and Fast and Furious number four from 2009. Well, very exciting, very big episode next time. So get ready for that. But Joe, as we talked about last episode, next episode, 
we're doing Dude, Where's My Car? Oh, so, yeah. Who boy. We're getting there. I hope you're ready. But for all things Too Fast, Too Forever, you go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash Too Fast, Too Forever, or at Too Fast, Too Forever on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, family, at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon page at Too Fast, Too Forever.com. Find the next three laps. Give us movies to watch. And come back next episode for Dude, Where's My Car? Come back in two weeks to hear Nico and Kevo once again mm-hmm. talking about Fast and Furious, talking about Fast and Furious number four and Los Bondoleros. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Joe, too. And that was Nico Basillo and Kevo Reese of Husbands Talking More or Less. And we'll see you next time right here on Too Fast, Too Forever. Peace out. Peace out. You anus peacer. peacer.